I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as Dark Wishes, Home Invasion, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So are you ready to talk about some home invaders getting brutally maimed by our protagonist? Hell yeah. That can only mean one thing for this episode. We're covering the Home Alone franchise. Yeah. Well, at least the first two. They're the only ones that count. The only two. Yes, that is correct, (laughs) Josh. And we're recording this on Sunday, March the 19th, 2023. So happy St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still recovering from that one. I had one drink. I mean, I didn't go out of my house or anything. I have kids. It's just, you know, I put on some flogging Molly or Dropkick Murphys and uh, do a bunch of Irish car bombs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Then go to sleep. Watch Home Alone movies with my kids the next day in pain. (laughs) But before we can dive into uh, this holy film series, we got to do the housekeeping. Yay. In current news, Bruce Campbell says that he will actually play Ash again and take him out of retirement if Sam Raimi directs the movie. So that's that actually sounds like it could happen then. <laughs> <laughs> the Evil Dead Rise movie, this isn't in my notes, I'm going to throw you for a loop here, but um, last I checked, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has 10 out of 10 on all of the reviews. It's Damn. not out yet, but like the critics see in it. Yeah. And uh, I guess Rob Tappert was getting interviewed and somebody asked him, are we ever going to see an Ash and Evil Dead crossover? And he replied with, we can't do it because Bruce Campbell retired and won't play Ash anymore. <laughs> so this was Bruce Campbell's comeback. I will if you and Sam make the movie. Okay. So he put the uh, ball in their court to get the attention yeah. off him. <laughs> Maybe there'll be an announcement at Bruce Arama in the cave. <laughs> we'll find out. You have to let me know. I don't think I'm going to be able to attend that one. <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game has a full trailer out now and a release date of August the 18th. I'm trying to remember if I've seen anything on that. Who's putting that out? The people that made the Friday the 13th game. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same kind of asymmetrical thing, but you have three killers and multiple survivors. Okay. And it looks pretty neat. The Friday the 13th game played fine. The problem was the rights going in flux, and they couldn't update the game. Yeah. Or or complete it, to my understanding. So (laughs) there's that. Retroware is releasing a Toxic Crusaders beat-em-up co-op couch game in late 23. Since apparently the show's popular on Screenbox now, and I didn't even know it was on there. Damn. I love that show as a kid, and I had the action figures. I'm going to have to check it out. Oh, yeah. That was like the the deepest tentacles of anything that came from Troma ever fucking made it. Right. Guillermo del Toro is making a Frankenstein movie, which, you know, I'm like, man, there's been enough of these. But you can do different (laughs) spins on them, you know, as long as you don't try to go the actual, like, universal style and you go a different way. You can get pretty deep on it. Yeah. But what's cool about this one is it's starring Mia Goth. Oscar Isaac and Andrew Garfield. Yeah, those people. <laughs> They're all famous. Okay. Mia Goth is a heavy hitter scream queen right now, so she's Pearl. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. And I know you're talking about now. And, and all that. Apparently married to Shia LaBeouf, I read earlier. Oh, yesterday. It's uh, interesting. Uh, poor lady. Um, <laughs> but she's been in a bunch of other horror movies recently. Those just are the recent ones. But yeah, and Oscar Isaac, you'd know him if you saw him. I believe you. <laughs> Andrew Garfield is one of the newer Spider-Mans. Oh, okay. And he's in the Facebook movie. You didn't see that either, huh? He's a great actor. Okay. I believe you again. <laughs> he got the worst two Spider-Man movies and is probably the best Spider-Man. Oh, damn. This one made me sad, but I have like an update on it. Okay. 
So my note says Willow was canceled by Disney Plus after the first season. Okay. And then the showrunner came out yesterday and said, wait, wait, it's not canceled. We just released the actors from their contracts so they could go do some other stuff while we get ready. Eh, time will tell. Same thing we heard about Mindhunter, right? <laughs> Still waiting on that, damn it. Yep. Well, I mean, I don't think it's happening now. I think he said that this year, right? <laughs> I think so. And this isn't on my notes, but it's because it happened after I wrote them, and I don't want to end news on every episode with, with downers about actors, but it, this is the second episode in a row, so sorry. Got to be consistent about something. Lance Reddick passed away the other day at the age of 63. Yup. You know, he was in the recent Resident Evil show on Netflix, which not a lot of people liked, but nobody complained about him. He was great in it. He was the only good actor in it. He's great on the Fringe TV show, or was great on the Fringe TV show. John Wick movies. He's a video game voice actor, like he's in all the Destiny games. So he's been around. I was actually surprised that he was 63, though. Yeah. Yeah. He ages better, or aged better than I, I do. Um, but that, that sucked. And then Sam Neill announced that he has stage three blood cancer. That is fucked. And, you know, he's he's done his, his fair share of horror movies, but he's still Jurassic Park to me. Always, yeah. 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 So, but that's horror adjacent. I was watching Owl Kitty uh, Jurassic Park earlier today. <laughs> but that's it for news, unless Josh has something from Halloween Horror Nights he'd like to share from a conspiracy or rumor. No. <laughs> Anything about lizard people, hollow earth, no, no, flat? No, still, still working on my notes. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's for another podcast. The earth's not flat, it's a turtle. Announcements. We're still going strong. We just recorded two weeks ago, and I released an episode yesterday, and we're recording again right now. Yeah, look at us go. Granted, it's because we couldn't do it next weekend because Josh will be out of town, and that's how procrastination happens. We end up a month behind, and for some <laughs> reason, I felt the need to have this episode come out at the beginning of April. I don't know why, but... It's like, it's almost like there's a schedule we're attempting to adhere right. to or something. And there's another thing about the release date with this episode that I find interesting. John Hughes, two years ago, we did the same thing. Huh. Weird how that lined up. Right. I don't, I don't get it. But <laughs> anyways, we're not quite there yet. Updates and corrections. I only had two bullet points. So. Okay. Either I got lazy editing <laughs> or we did pretty good. I'm going to go with the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Worthington was the name that eluded me when we were discussing Terminator Salvation. And he's the guy that was in, you know, Wrath of the Titans and Avatar and all that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So couldn't think of his name. During your movie, I brought up the plot hole of everyone, including Cole's parents, thinking he's crazy about his story from that night. And I even mentioned, I think it's weird that his babysitter B vanished and his parents don't even think that's odd. They don't believe anything he said. Yeah. But I thought about it while listening to it editing. Okay. So B covered everything up and got rid of the bodies, right? Yes. There is still a police call on record where two cops got sent there. And we're never seen again in the car's gone. They went to Waffle House and never came back. So with the babysitter missing and the cops missing and the 911 call, it seems like they should at least believe that maybe she was a serial killer or something. <laughs> and, and their child like developed this, you know, dream version of reality or whatever to, to deal with the, the pain or whatever. But <laughs> no, no, he's just crazy. Nothing ever happened. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, there's there's things that have happened in real life that get swept under the rug, so let's <laughs> just fucking let it happen. But Mick G, if you're listening, 
I want an explanation. <laughs> Samara Weaving, if you're listening, somebody, somebody tell us. No, fuck that. That's too easy. Give us the third installment and give us the answer in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'll just, just cruise over the pothole there. <laughs> well, we watched. Let's see. I finished up a bunch of things. Okay. Season two of Carnival Row came out. Marathoned it. My wife got out of it a couple episodes in. I just kept on trucking. Okay. The second part of the new season of You came out. We finished that. It was all right. I saw a couple episodes. I didn't really get into it this time. <laughs> and finished Last of Us. Just finished that as well. Now I want a second season. Right. <laughs> and as an update on that, Bella Ramsey is still going to be playing Ellie, because I was wondering, because she's older in the second game. Yeah. But the actress is actually 19 or 20 right now anyways. Oh, okay. They just did a good job making her look younger. She probably also looks younger, but that means they can go the other way, too. Yeah. And they're going to split it into two seasons. <sighs> Well, I thought that too when I read it, and then everybody was like, thank God, in the comments. I haven't played the second game. I've only played the first one, and apparently the second game is really, really, really long. (laughs) And with the budget constraints and stuff, they would have had to like cut out half the game and crammed it in a shit to do one season. So we get two seasons just because of the length of the game. Whatever. I'll take it. Yeah. It's it's a good production, so I'll take it. Scream 6, of course, if you guys listen to the bonus episodes. If you haven't, there's a spoiler-free short one and then a lengthier, fully spoiled one where uh, <laughs> we went through our thoughts on it, but those were fun to to get out. We did a lot of recording and research in a couple of weeks, man. I'm proud of us. We did. Now we just need another, well, I guess the next next one that's going to come out that we give a shit about seeing is going to be Evil Dead Rise. I think that's coming soon. <laughs> Would you watch? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that means we... Went too quick in between episodes. We'll have to go back to like waiting two months again because Josh only saw the same few things I did also. Exactly. I'm so used to having to truncate the like 20 bullet point long list of things, you know, and uh, I was home with my kids all week on spring break. I think it's why I was able to get editing done. Oh, okay. I was supposed to teach myself Blender and finish this Lego set I got for Christmas. Did neither. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we got this episode done. So about this episode, why, why did we do it? What's the backstory here? Well, what's not to love with this franchise? This franchise of two movies. Yes, two movies. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> we grew up watching them. They're family favorites. Watched every year in my house, at least. Yeah, I don't have kids. And um, this is the first thing that comes to mind to me when thinking of home invasion films, as well as the protagonist surviving off of booby traps, right? Y- yes, yes. In my youth, this and Nancy are the only things that ever come to mind. (laughs) This is the home invasion movie for this great April. (laughs) But I am going to start us off with 1990s Home Alone, directed by Chris Columbus. Who the fuck is that? Exactly. He got famous from Adventures in Babysitting, and then he made a movie called Heartbreak Hotel, which bombed, and is going to come up a lot in this episode. Oh, okay. He did the first two Harry Potter movies, Mrs. Doubtfire, Bicentennial Man, both the Home Alone movies, the first Percy Jackson movie, Pixels, and Christmas Chronicles Part 2. And that's just his directing credits. Yeah. I wanted to go off his writing credits <laughs> because he was a writer originally, and there's a little funny story there. So he wrote Gremlins, Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes, Christmas with the Cranks, the Christmas Chronicles Part 2, that Heartbreak Hotel movie that bombed. <laughs> he didn't want to be a writer. He wanted to be a director. I want to make movies, damn it. But the words have been used to describe him as a prodigy in screenplay writing. Yeah. And he was really good at it. So he figured if he wrote enough movies and hung around on set, eventually somebody would let him direct one he wrote. <laughs> and he directed Adventures of Babysitting, which was a hit. Yeah. 
And then he did Heartbreak Hotel, which tanked and was afraid nobody would ever let him direct anything ever again. And then John Hughes called him. John <laughs> Hughes wanted him to direct because John Hughes, you know, he wrote and directed a lot of his big movies, but he was writing so much. You know, like I said, when he passed away, his wife found a, like a trunk yeah. of screenplays, right? That he got to a point where he wanted to have other people direct some of his movies. And he wanted Chris Columbus for this, and he got him. And I think it was the best thing that could have happened to it. Um, there's a little bit of a funny story with the writing, but I'll wait till we get past the cast and crew here. <laughs> the writer of this film was not Chris Columbus. It was John Hughes. He was not just a producer on this. And I have director and writer for him as well because his is kind of crazy. He directed 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. And that's not everything, but that's most of it. The biggins. Yeah. As far as a screenplay writer, he wrote every movie I just said. Mr. Mom, National Lampoon's Vacation, National Lampoon's European Vacation, The Great Outdoors, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and Dutch. Yeah. And he actually wanted Chris Columbus to direct Christmas Vacation. And he was the original director of the film. And Chevy Chase was an asshole, so he quit. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, everybody else says Chevy Chase is an asshole. <laughs> Chevy Chase apparently told him something like he was he was young and green and he wasn't going to listen to him as the director and he was going to do his own thing. And he's like, I just, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to try to direct this movie. But he loves Christmas. And yeah. a lot of the, the, the movie took place during Christmas the entire time, but a lot of the Christmas stuff is Chris Columbus. Like, he put that in here. That's why he wanted to do Christmas Vacation. That's why he did, you know, the Christmas Chronicles recently. But who wouldn't want to work with Kurt Russell? As Santa Claus. <laughs> Plus, you got Judah Lewis in it from the last episode, you know, making a comeback. Yeah. Or, you know, up and comer. However, you want to look at it. And I don't know if it's in my notes. So if it's not, I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. John Hughes wrote the whole screenplay and sent it to Chris to direct. And he gave it his own pass. <laughs> <laughs> sent it back to John Hughes, who gave it a pass, who sent it to Chris Columbus, who gave it a pass, and then went back to John Hughes one last time. And apparently the John Hughes version was more of his comedy style and just straight up comedy. Okay. And then Chris Columbus added a lot more Christmas to it and family values and like the family coming together and all Touchy that. Touchy-feely stuff. Yeah. And he <laughs> did the old man Marley character and the whole backstory of that. Okay. So that's your Chris Columbus touches. Other than being the director, but there, there's a rule when you do John Hughes movies you don't deviate from a script. It's pretty strict about it, unless you're John Candy. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. There wasn't a lot of room for error there, other than Polka. Polka, Polka, Polka. <laughs> other than, than what Chris added when he, you know, they went back and forth on the screenplay. As far as cast, i got to start out with, I'm going to call him Mac probably, because that's what everybody else calls him, but Macaulay Culkin <laughs> as Kevin, our star. And he was in John Hughes' Uncle Buck. And John Hughes loved the kid and thought he was great to work with and very responsible and mature for his age and wanted to help make him a star. So he wrote Home Alone with McCallie Culkin designed as Kevin the entire time. Oh, okay. Chris Columbus didn't want to go the whole nepotism route, so he interviewed 100 other kids <laughs> and then realized that McCallie Culkin was the best one. <laughs> but uh, other than Uncle Buck, he did My Girl, which was a, that was a banger of a movie. Make the you cry. bees! It'll make you cry. Yes, there's bees. The Good Son, which he was actually pretty fucking creepy in that. Which has a tie-in with the second film. Oh. The Page Master, Richie Rich, and he was recently on American Horror Story. Yeah, like came back out of nowhere, kind of. Yeah. yeah, he's done on and off indie work, and some of it was really good over the past decade or two. But, you know, he's one of those child actors that 
got bad in the drugs. Seems pretty good now, though. I watched some recent interviews with him and stuff, so I think he's got his shit together. Hopefully. He hasn't gone nanners. And there's no telling what <laughs> happened hanging out with Michael Jackson all those years. But that is uh, <laughs> that's for another podcast. Joe Pesci <laughs> is Harry. And his casting is so long. I'm just I got a few in here. Uh, okay. Because none of them are horror. <laughs> Raging Bull, the yep. Lethal Weapon series, Goodfellas, and My Cousin Vinny. Oh, fucking My Cousin Vinny. I love that movie. These two Utes. <laughs> Raging Bull is actually what they saw him in to make them want to get him. Okay. But he was so used to adding fuck every other third word <laughs> when doing Scorsese movies that weren't in the screenplay. He adds them most of the time. He was doing that a lot by accident, so he had the idea to develop his own language that was used for profanity, and that's why Harry does like the... Okay. Like, he had a language he made up. That was a terrible demonstration of it, but... <laughs> they originally wanted... God, there was somebody that they wanted, and they didn't get him, and then they went to De Niro, or wanted to go to De Niro, and then they ended up saying, no, look at Joe Pesci and Raging Bull because you know they were in Raging Bull together and and they decided to go with him and that's who they got which that kind of affected the casting of the next character Marv who was going to be played by Dan Roebuck who's that? he's an actor that you would know if you saw him but (laughs) I get that a lot they cast Daniel Stern and they only needed him for like six weeks or something and his career was kind of coming up and then they ended up saying they needed him for eight weeks and he demanded a little more money he said it wasn't like pretentious or crazy but he's like you know, if I got to set an example here if I'm trying to move up and if they want me to work two weeks longer, I, I need two more weeks of pay. Yeah. And they refused to do it. So they replaced him with Dan Roebuck and him and Joe Pesci didn't get along very well. Not like, um, like you hear Chevy Chase and Athlete. <laughs> it, it wasn't they didn't get along. Their, um, their screen presence didn't work. Right. Just not the right chemistry. Right. Right. Yeah. Not the right chemistry. They were, they were fine with each other. It's just like, you didn't get that. So they ended up Calling Daniel Stern, and he's like so glad he took the job because <laughs> nobody thought this movie was gonna go anywhere. To be honest, and I'll, I'll get to that here in a bit, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, like I said, Daniel Stern plays Marv. He was in Chud. Had to throw that in there. <laughs> I haven't seen him forever, so I don't think I realized he was in there. The Frankenweenie short Tim Burton made before he was famous. Yep. I have to delineate between the two because the other one comes up again in a minute. <laughs> Little Monsters. He's the dad. City Slickers, which was his first big movie after Home Alone. Yep. He's the narrator of Wonder Years. I always forget about that. Holy shit. Yep, yep. Rookie of the Year. And then I like to put very bad things on here because that movie is hilarious. Dude, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. I haven't seen it in a, in a while, actually, and I hope it still holds up. I just remember it being like a crazy cocaine party and I'm trying to cover up a murder or accidental yes. killing, right? For anyone who hasn't seen that movie and doesn't know what we're talking about, like the title sums it up perfectly. It is about a clusterfuck of things yeah. going wrong and somebody getting their comeuppance, which I love because <laughs> of the way the, the fucking film ends. But, oh, God, what a ride. And I don't remember who all's in it. I think Christian Slater's in it. Christian Slater's in is it. Is John uh, Favreau in it? John Favreau's in it. Um, Pre-Star Wars era. The chick with the cum in her hair. Uh, Something about Mary? Yes. What's what's that actress's name? And she's in Charlie's Angels? Yeah. And Charlie's Angels Full Throttle? Yeah, her. <laughs> Why can I not think of her name right now? Shit. We are both sleep deprived, so we apologize. <laughs> and you are all yelling at your phone or computer or something right now, the name at us, which I will have in the update notes of the next episode. Bullshit. One of us is going to remember it halfway through the fucking episode. We're going to yell at it. Anyways, watch Very Bad Things. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Somebody else is fucking awesome. Catherine O'Hara as Kate, <laughs> which I think I only call her mom in the notes, but apparently she has a name and it's Kate. Oh. Beetlejuice, 
which she's fucking phenomenal in. Right. And the casting director of Home Alone worked on Beetlejuice. Ah. And she wanted to get her because she liked her. Dick Tracy, Nightmare Before Christmas, is both Sally and Shock. Not everybody knows that. Yo. Frankenweenie, the movie, not the short, because she does a lot of Tim Burton things. And oh my God, is she hilarious on Shit's Creek. Dude, she's she's so awesome. Like at first it's like, oh, this is too much. Right. And then it's like, oh no, she's that fucking right. nuts. <laughs> like you're the first episode in and you're like, I don't know how long I can put up with her <laughs> talking like this. And you hope that she, that's her rich person fake accent. And she, she goes, goes normal later, but she doesn't. And then you realize that she is like a failed actress that was rich. And that is her fake actress accent. And she refuses to break it. Oh, it's so good. And she's done a shit ton of voice actor work. Yup. Just an insane amount. And she's also in a lot more movies than I just listed, but she is awesome. John Hurd as Peter, who will henceforth be known as Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in Big, Radio Flyer, Snake Eyes, the TV show Prison Break, apparently Sharknado, which I've still never watched. The first one? Yeah. Damn. A lot of guest appearances on TVs and movies, and he's been in some big movies where he randomly just shows up as like a general or something, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because he generally has a pretty big uh, screen presence, and it's kind of funny that he's randomly the Home Alone dad. Like, I feel like he was friends with somebody, and they got him to do it. <laughs> and he passed away in 2017. Did not know that. We got Robert's Blossom as Marley, or Old Man Marley, you know, the <laughs> snow shovel serial killer. Not the guy that jumps <laughs> off the cliff in uh, Midsommar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Christine, which we've covered on here. Doc Hollywood, which Dude. still holds a place in my heart. <laughs> and Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, which is one of the few westerns I'll watch. Uh, Quick and Dead's awesome. I haven't thought of Doc Hollywood in forever. I've been <laughs> begging the wife to watch The Hard Way. Uh, okay, okay. And doc hollywood immediately because it's michael j fox right like oh fuck i forgot about that movie i'm gonna have to make her watch two of his movies and the last person i'm gonna mention is john candy as gus polinsky the polka king of the midwest oh yeah polka 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 stripes national lampoons vacation little shop of horrors the great outdoors who's harry crumb nothing but trouble and he passed away in 1994 at the age of 43 cocaine will kill you just three years older than josh and i yeah, I mean, in, in the overweight, I think it was a, a mixture of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a sum of parts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably in my notes later, but he did this for scale. Okay. Which I believe we explained on the Little Shop of Horrors episode, because I think he did that for scale also. Yes. So scale is like the Actors Guild uh, daily rate, which yeah. is like 500 bucks. So the dude that played the pizza guy got paid more than John Candy. Damn. He, cause you have to pay him. Like it's a law. He couldn't just yeah. do it for free, but he came in as a favor for John Hughes cause they're best friends. That's okay. why he's in so many John Hughes things. And he probably called him a fucker by the end of the day. They only had him for one day. It was a 23 hour shoot. Oh, fuck. For just those scenes that he oh, has. Oh, he got fucked. And like I said, you stick to John Hughes script unless you're John Candy. Polka, polka, polka being the... You know, the Polka King of the Midwest, all that. He made it up on the spot. He made up the band name. Oh, damn. I don't know if he made up the stories about the guys being terrible dads and stuff. But Probably. <laughs> he had a direction he was supposed to go, and he knew he was in a polka band, and John Candy just did his thing, which is probably why it took 23 hours for what little screen time he has. Yep. Because he was just winging shit until it stuck. But they're hilarious. Like, when he starts on the polka, 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 and he does that John Candy laughing at himself laugh yeah. that he does, it's just, it's classic. That's him. I decided to put a couple honorable mentions in here because <laughs> okay. they are actors that are in the movie, but not enough to, to where we would normally credit them. 
on this podcast because we're assholes like that. <laughs> but they have popped up on other episodes of the podcast. One of them blew my mind. The first one being Angela Gothels, who plays Lenny McAllister. I don't remember if it is one of Kevin's cousins or sisters because <laughs> there's so many of them. It's hard to tell. But she is the director of the documentary in Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, who ends up being the final girl. Did we cover that when we covered that? I think I might have. But the only reason why I know this isn't from Home Alone research. It was when I watched Leslie Vernon the first time. I thought she looked familiar. And I looked her up. And she it wasn't because of that. She's a kid in it. Yeah. But I, I was like, what the fuck? Mind blown. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And then Devin Rattray, who plays Buzz, his older brother, who we covered in Blue Ruin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the one where he gets the guns and he tries to teach him how to shoot. And he's like, you're going to fucking die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I, I forgot to put his name on here. I feel like an ass. But Big Pete from The Adventures of Pete and Pete is also one of the brothers. Yeah. Oh, did you not watch that on Nickelodeon <laughs> when you were no, a kid? No, I do what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, it was a Nickelodeon show from like our era as kids. Like when, when you had your shorts and wait, stuff wait, came wait. on. When you had cable and I didn't. Ah, <laughs> you would love the show. It is fucking weird. It's like eerie Indiana weird. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, I, I'll put his name on the update notes. I forgot to write him on here and then like I'm watching the second one and he's in it. <laughs> and there's two other Culkins in the movie too. I knew about one. So his little brother's in it. Yeah. Which I can't think of. Fuller, Fuller. I think is his name. And he he's the one that was in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And uh, his little sister's in it. Oh. And she's the younger sister that's hanging out with Fuller. Okay. So a little family affair there. Yeah, I bet his dad made sure that happened. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things you go into with that. <laughs> and uh, God, Chris Columbus even talked about it in interviews before, like just watching the parents with them. And like the kid didn't deserve it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind Come of thing. on, meal ticket. And then, you know, there's a bad custody battle and this and that. So uh, poor fucking kid. I mean, he's grown. I think he's our age. Yeah. I'm assuming because he's 10 in Home Alone 2, which came out in 92 and we were 10 in 92. Yeah. So yeah, he's probably our age. But uh, special effects, nothing of notes put in here except for the <laughs> stunt work. The stunt work must be addressed. It is insane in this movie. <laughs> Because of this movie, the official term for a stuntman throwing himself absurdly high in the air and slamming down on his back, the official term is called a home alone. That's great. And it's from this movie, obviously. <laughs> they didn't even use pads. Like when they were going up the stairs, that was steps in a concrete sidewalk and just throw yourself six feet up in there and land on your back and don't hit your fucking head. And just do it constantly. Like it didn't phase me. You know, <laughs> McCauley Culkin had a stunt double. It was a 30-year-old man that was really short. Oh, okay. You can kind of tell. I mean, he's t he's short for a man, but like he's yeah. not Macaulay Culkin short. So you can tell when he's like uh, ziplining to the treehouse and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they just dove on the real ground and got a term named after him. And there's a whole lot of stunt guys abusing themselves in this movie. <laughs> I remember to do my log line and my tagline. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Let's go into some more background information that I didn't dive into by accident already. And then we'll go to the film. <laughs> the log line. An eight-year-old troublemaker mistakenly left home alone must defend his home against a pair of burglars on Christmas Eve. Tagline was apparently, holy cow. What the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is that? I don't, that's terrible. It sounds like a Bart Simpson poster. It does. But anyways, that's, I've been doing it on the other episodes. Usually the tagline's the one that people know. Yeah. So I wanted to put it on here, but it's yeah, this, dumb. This pulls no memory strings. All right, so Home Alone, the Warner Brothers production, right? What? Exactly. <laughs> so Warner Brothers got the rights from John Hughes okay. to make this movie, and they gave him a $10 million budget, and they let him have Chris like he wanted, and even in 
1990, $10 million was a small budget. Yeah. Like big blockbuster movies that are still famous this day were like 70 mil roughly. Yeah. So they gave them $10 million. It ballooned to 14.7 by the time they did all the set building, which I'm going to go into and, and stuff like that. And Warner Brothers told them they had to get it down to 13.5 or they're canceling the movie. Okay. And they wrote like a really detailed letter showing all the stuff they had built and everything and, and the cast they have and how they were ready to rock and how they had already trimmed the fat and they needed that extra $1.2 million okay. to, to finish the movie, which they thought was ridiculous because it was a drop in the bucket as far as movie buckets yeah. go, right? Warner Brothers got back with them and fired all of them and canceled the movie. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> However, if we go back a couple of weeks, John Hughes was friends with everybody. So the budget debate thing and them trying to get budget approval went on for a few weeks after they turned everything in. So we went and had lunch with his buddy, who was high up at 20th Century Fox, and the big boss at 20th Century Fox. Can't remember who it was at that point in time. Yeah. And they just had lunch, and he, he wasn't supposedly meeting with them about that, but they were asking about his movie, blah, blah, blah. And he was talking about how, you know, he thinks it's a great movie, and, and he told them the whole plot. And who all he had in it and all the stuff they'd built and this and that. And like, that sounds amazing. I'm like, wait a minute, what it, what's the money problems? And he's like, I need an extra 1.2 mil that they won't give me for a $14.7 million budget. And he's like, fuck, I'll do it for that. <laughs> but the thing is, you can't legally give a screenplay or talk options with a movie studio while another movie studio has the rights. Yeah, because it's under contract. So a screenplay accidentally showed up at 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Before the firing happened from Warner Brothers. Funny thing, I, I did a lot of research on my notes, like a lot, and they were really detailed. And then I saw that there was a, a Movies That Made Us episode, and I realized that I could have done my notes in like an hour. I had to watch that. It'd be great if there was other things, but we've covered everything else that they've done. But it was nice to kind of see everything in one spot. But it was really funny, because like I had found all the stuff, and then I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> but the executive producer of the movie is one of the people being interviewed and he's the one that took the screenplay. Ah. But he was basically told to call the 20th Century Fox guy and let him know when they got fired so that they could officially hire him. Okay. So they were set up in a school, which I'll get into in a minute. And they had the sets built in the gym and they used different like classroom sections and hallways as offices. So like this is the art department and this is right. Like they were all yeah, grouped yeah. together and they knew they were getting fired for the money. And the guy from Warner Brothers came and he went section by section to each department and fired everybody. And when he'd come out of the section to go in the next section, the executive producer would walk in behind him and say, we're now a 20th Century Fox production. Get back to work. And he went all the way around with them. And it's funny because Chris Columbus like called his wife. Oh, no, I got, you know, I got another chance. I got fired. You know, this and that all upset. Executive producer comes in. We're now a 20th Century Fox production. And when he makes it to the last room, it's not a circle. So the guy's coming out when he's coming in. And he says he looked the guy dead in the eye and said, you're fired. <laughs> and just win the fucking room. Is that true? I don't know, but that is a master class in storytelling. Oh, I hope it's true. I know, I know. But literally went behind the guys. He was firing them and they hired them for the 20th Century Fox production. So it was a coup, basically. <laughs> yeah, it was. Like they knew Warner Brothers wasn't going to budge. It's Warner Brothers. It's just crazy. But then you see how they squander the rights to, you know, like DC Comics and That's stuff like, like to that. Say, they know? shit the bed on their own properties. So, anyways, that, that's, that's, that's the story of how we got a 20th Century Fox movie from Warner Brothers. <laughs> All right, so casting. Macaulay Culkin was Kevin, right? He had to be, because like I said earlier, John Hughes wrote it with him as Kevin. Yeah. The casting director, like I said, had worked with Catherine O'Hara 
on Beetlejuice, wanted her for the mom, got her, right? John Lovitz is who they originally wanted to be Harry. I don't know how it went from John Lovitz to De Niro, but then they ended up asking Joe Pesci in the end, and that's who they got. And that was the best of the three options right there. 100%. Chris wanted Joe. That's how they got it, actually. I think I think it was John and, and Robert De Niro were like top choices. Everybody and Chris, like, I think we should get Joe Pesci to it. But it was probably from watching Raging Bull to look at De Niro, and he's like, I think this guy would be great, yeah. right? And I told you about his, his F-bomb language, which I just think is hilarious. And this fucking kid. <laughs> I told the the Daniel Stern story. See, I went all ahead on my notes here, Josh. Like, I just got ahead of myself. I'm so excited to do this film. There was a movie. It was like Dancing with Something that Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern had worked on. Not Wolves. No, not Dancing with <laughs> Wolves. Years, years in the past. So they were already had worked together, and they apparently were friends still also. Ah. So it just worked out like they got to be in this goofy movie, you know, Crowbar's Up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the huge family, which I didn't even put most of the family in here. So they're Catholic. There's 15. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Josh. There's 15 people in this family, which Fuck. mom states, right? She says something about getting, there's 15 people in this house, Kevin, and you're the only one, blah, 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 right? Yes. That is because John Hughes did not want the parents to look bad or neglectful in any way. Okay. So he had to sit there, and, and I think Chris helped with this a little bit, but he had to cover every loophole or plot hole he could think of for Kevin getting left behind without them being pieces of shit. <laughs> so one step, gigantic fucking family for him to get lost in. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the first step right there. The fog of war. And and that's going to help us here in a minute with the loopholes. I'll go into that in detail. I don't know why I put this in the huge family section. It should have been my casting section. But everyone said that Mac was like working with an old man. Like he's just really mature for his age and was like helped like with directing decisions some a little bit and stuff like that oh, with damn. Chris Columbus. And it was really great at his job, but they only had him five hours a day due to child labor laws. So, oh. Yeah, yeah. And he would sleep in between takes on the floor. <laughs> and the church scene was his longest, most serious scene in the movie. And to my understanding, he did it in one go. Oh, damn. So that was kind of neat. Why did I pull? I tried to like organize my notes here. And I, I think I just had the huge family thing and accidentally made a subsection. Uh. I think this is supposed to be part of casting still. Okay. Right, like so they cast a huge family, so that's why my notes are disjointed, guys. It'll it'll come back together here in a minute. <laughs> but the iconic shot of Kevin, where he's like ah with his hands on his mouth, is yeah. actually a mistake. Okay, so Chris is directing him. He's supposed to slap the stuff on, take his hands off, pause for a second, like deadpan stare at the mirror, and then yell ah. But Macaulay Culkin's a kid, and he put his hands on there and forgot to take them off, paused, and screamed. That ended up being the poster and possibly the most iconic shot of the film. History was made. I like it when you hear things like that. Yes. The crew, the DP, editor, production designer, and executive producer all worked on Heartbreak Hotel <laughs> with Chris Columbus, which bombed. They're all like, hey, guys, we're fucking up another one. <laughs> the budget was so small to make the movie when they started out with Warner Brothers that they couldn't get people with a lot of experience. So almost every single one of those people that I mentioned, Heartbreak Hotel was their first movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they just had to get them. <laughs> it worked out. And there's some funny stuff with the DP I think I'll, I get into a little bit later because he wasn't very sure of himself at all. Like, he knew how to do <laughs> a scene. Like, if you give him a scene, he's like, I, I can tell you what to do with the camera and the lights and stuff, but I don't know how to do a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to do a whole movie. And he put something in there to cover his ass that I'll get into later that really added to the film. Okay. But, yeah, they just hoped that round two would go much better for this crew. <laughs> they all ended up having huge careers afterwards working on lots of large films. Especially Chris Columbus. Yay! It worked out. All right, the set. It's at New Cheer High School, which should sound familiar from an April episode a couple years ago. Oh, really? 
That is the school where Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Uncle Buck were filmed. No shit. Not the Breakfast Club. It was abandoned. Whatever part of town it was in, like there weren't as many kids anymore. They didn't need as many schools and it got shut down. So they used the abandoned building and I'll go into detail more later. But like I said, there's offices, like the science labs were the, you know, the art department and stuff like that. Yeah. And they built the, the house is like a whole set built in the gym. And part of it's built over the swimming pool, which will come up later as well. I keep saying that. It's Josh's meanwhile of this episode, but I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. It's because I know these notes. I don't even need to read them right now. More on that later. So John Hughes hates studios, <laughs> and he hates studio notes. And he's from Chicago, and that's why he shot all of his movies in Chicago, because they don't feel like coming to Chicago where he's shooting the movies, and he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yep. So that's how we ended up at the school in Chicago. Hey, look, abandoned school, <laughs> offices and set, blah, blah, blah. Classrooms and labs are set up by departments. Yes, here we go. We hit it finally. Like I said, the set, the primary set of the house is built in the gym. It was an actual two-story house. You could go up and down the stairs for shots. And the final scene in the basement was shot over the swimming pool because the set designer said, anytime you flood a set, it's going to leak. So uh, they just built it over the shallow end of the empty swimming pool at the school so that it would leak into a pool. There you go. Pretty fucking genius. It sounds like everybody should use an abandoned school <laughs> as a studio. This worked out great. Speaking of Evil Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that shot at a school? Evil Dead 2 was. Didn't remember that. Didn't remember it either. We got asked about it on another podcast, and I'm like, that was all sets, wasn't it? And I'm like, uh, I'm trying <laughs> to put my behind the scenes together, and I went back and double check. Okay, okay. I gotta go back and listen to some of our older episodes. I haven't since I edited them. We improve. <laughs> <laughs> We have a format now, <laughs> as loose as it is. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it took weeks for the location scout to find the house. They wanted it to look a certain way. They couldn't really describe it on paper, but they knew they would see it when they saw it. <laughs> and they found it. However, the house was too small to shoot on the inside, which is why the entire house is built in the gym at a high school. Okay. They shot all of the exterior shots outside the house. The tree house at the end was built for the movie and then torn down afterwards. They wanted to shoot mom coming home in the snow at the end of the movie. And it's Chicago and it's February. So they're good. <laughs> Except for it wasn't supposed to snow that February for some reason. <laughs> and they had to have everybody on standby that if it snowed one day, they had to get Kevin and Catherine straight to the fucking house. Okay. And shoot the scene in the snow. They started filming on Valentine's day. It snowed the next morning. So day two, they Damn. had to go rush there and film it. Since they built the house as a set, they got to decorate everything, and I never really thought about it until I read it, but every single room is red and green. Everything's red and green. Like, it'll be like a red it couch is. with green towels, with green <laughs> wallpaper, the phone's green, like, everything's red and green in the house, in every single room. Chris like, Columbus wanted it to look like Christmas, he said. That's like Christmas threw up in there. <laughs> Legendary guest star. I did all this. I did this from memory. <laughs> $500 scale pay. Improv lines. John Candy. You're a hero. Okay, the chicken shit cam. <laughs> the DP was worried about his skill as a DP. And like I said, he knew he could do scenes, but he had concerns about doing a whole movie. And he was scared that he was going to fuck up. So he found the smallest possible camera he could find that used like the same kind of lenses. Okay. And, you know, he had his meetings and, you know, with, with Chris and this is where we're going to put the cameras and this is the angles. And then he had the what he called the chicken shit cam. Because it was so small, at random wide angles, in case he fucked something up, he'd have another angle. Okay. They started looking at him in dailies, 
those were their favorite shots because they were weird angles and stuff. And those are the ones used in the movie most of the time, like when the guys get hurt and shit. Oh, see? But they thought it was so cool, they started implementing it into the movie. Okay. So, like, the shoots with the iron falling down? Yeah. They dropped the chicken shit camera in in an iron so it could, like, chase it down the chute, right? Ah. And stuff like that. And I think that's how, you know, when Kevin's sliding in between somebody's legs on the ice and stuff, chicken shit cam. Okay. When it goes POV. So they could use it for for random stuff like that. And that ice skating rink wasn't real either. They made fake something slick to skate on to shoot that scene. It's all a lie, man. It's all a lie. <laughs> but apparently Mac had a lot of fun because he got to slide under somebody's legs and he thought it was hilarious. Because <laughs> children are easily amused. I'm still I'm fucking 41 and I'm still easily amused. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Yes, you are, Josh. <laughs> all right. So the score, the film went into editing with a novice editor who edited Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> And in his words, he finished with something he thought was passable and showed it to Chris. Chris loved the edit, but the filler score was absolute shit <laughs> and killed it. <laughs> so he needed to get the composer hard at work. The composer quit. He didn't oh, want to damn. do it. So he looked at everybody. He's like, I want John Williams to do it. And they just started laughing at him like hysterically. <laughs> right. Because he was famous already. He'd already done Jaws, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. You know, he's yeah. famous back then, just famous as now. And um, he sent the movie to John Williams and let him watch it. And John Williams loved it and agreed to do it. I'm assuming for a much smaller scale. <laughs> and the score to this movie, just like every score John Williams has ever made, is fucking amazing. It is. But there's something that I noticed when watching at 2x speed. If you speed his music up, it starts to sound like Danny Elfman. And I'm not joking. Huh. I mean, like, seriously. <laughs> I mean, Danny Elfman's good, but he's not John Williams. But he is Danny Elfman. <laughs> Anyways, John Williams, superior composer. Just saying. <laughs> it's like 93 and still working, bro. It's crazy. We could do a whole episode about him and the, the stuff that's said about him. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> Never heard anything bad said about him. Oh, there's this whole thing about him and plagiarizing. Hmm. Um uh, some stuff from the planets. There's an actual piece called Mars from the planets. It's older, older music. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like one note off from the Imperial March huh. and shit like that. But it's, it's one of those, you can't go, Oh, that's a rip off of that. You can just, you can tell where the exact same emotional hits were right? and how it worked. And that someone who actually knows how to write music and knows music theory, that the, the same writer would come up with the same kind of ideas. Right. But it's really weird that when you look at John Williams' pieces, you can keep going back to the planets and finding other works of his. Maybe that's what inspired him to get into composing, and that's where his vibe and feel comes from. And that could that's very well, off, yeah, so. that could very well be it too, because you know, imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. All that stuff. Um, <laughs> and I will say, movies that are composed by John Williams to me seem to have more score to them than any other movie. They, they different do. pieces, like lots yeah, yeah, of yeah. them. So even if you point out like a handful or 10 or even 20 things that are from this planet thing, he probably does 20 to 30 pieces per movie. Oh no, I agree. <laughs> I just think it's a, it, it's a funny story, but it really, I, I watched something on it and I, the only one that really caught my ears, if you listen to Mars and the Imperial March, it's like, okay, somebody needs to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Well, I guess we'll get off the score and we'll go into the release of the film, like when it was released, and then I'll, then I'll cover the movie. <laughs> the movie came out Thanksgiving weekend up against Rocky V. Rocky V? Oh, yeah. And the Italian style was still going strong. 
those movies were very popular. Siskel and Ebert saw the movie and shit on it. I think it got like one star or something. Damn. And they were upset because back then, Siskel and Ebert was make or break for you. Yeah. And they're like, oh, fuck, Siskel and Ebert shit on us. <laughs> they thought they would be happy if they made eight mil opening weekend. They were looking at projections and tracking and stuff, and they thought they might could pull off eight mil. So domestically only, it made 17 mil opening weekend. Yeah. Which made them ecstatic was more than their budget already, right? It was the number one film for 14 weeks straight. Damn. It beat all the Christmas movies because, you know, Christmas is one of the biggest movie release times of the year. Yeah. Beginning of the summer and Christmas. Every week while shooting City Slickers at the beginning of the week, Billy Crystal would walk up to Daniel Stern with the newspaper and be like, hey, you're still number one, buddy. <laughs> right? Like, he's like, this is awesome. <laughs> At the end of the film's almost half-year run, it had made over $285 million domestically, and there were only two other movies in the history of film that had done that at that point. Those two movies were Star Wars and E.T. That tracks. Yeah, so Home Alone was up there with the original Star Wars and E.T. It's awesome. God. Worldwide box office total of $476.7 million. So almost half a bill in 1990. I don't know what it is for inflation. I'll figure it out for the notes because I'm kind of interested. <laughs> so what you're saying is uh, <clears throat> eat a dick, Warner Brothers. <laughs> exactly. Over $1.2 million. <laughs> oh. And it's not like John Hughes wasn't famous already, you know? Yeah. Speaking of John Hughes, while having several successful movies in his career, even after this, he never, ever could recreate the success of Home Alone before passing away. True. Hopefully... One of those found scripts gets turned into a movie and is a hit. Um, fingers crossed, but it all depends on who, who tries to do it. <laughs> well, Chris Columbus is still alive and working. Why don't we let him do one of these? Yeah. But that's it for the behind the scenes. And I guess we'll go ahead and dive into this fucking awesome movie. We open up with the McAllister family house, which is quite literally a madhouse at this point. We yeah. can see that Kevin has a lot of siblings, cousins, an aunt and an uncle. Everybody's running around everywhere. Mom's yelling somebody at the phone. And there is a cop. <laughs> Air quotes there, guys. Played by Joe Pesci, trying to talk to a parent. He keeps meeting lots of kids who keep running by. And he asks them if they have parents. Yeah. Are they here? No. You know, it's like really funny because they all have something weird to say. They're not here. You know, mine are in Paris, you know? Yeah. We can see that Kevin's a bit of a jerk to his mom. Does not listen to either one of his parents, and he needs to clean up the micro machines in the hall floor because his aunt almost tripped on him and broke her neck. That's foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Never caught that before until uh, taking notes on this motherfucker. Kevin's told to pack his own suitcase, and he does not know what to do, and none of his siblings or cousins will help him. <laughs> it could just be siblings. I don't fucking know how to tell them apart if they're not buzz, so it's both. <laughs> how the fuck do I pack a suitcase? <laughs> it's pretty funny, but that goes into... His mom didn't do it, so she's not keeping up with the suitcase. That's that's a thing being covered right yep. there. But they think he's helpless and that he would never make it on his own. He hates his family, and he says when he grows up and gets married, he's going to live alone. That's, that's <laughs> fuck, I can't make that joke of married. <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a kid thing to say, though. Yes, yep. uh, 100%. We find out that Kevin's cousin Fuller wets the bed, and he's supposed to sleep on the hideaway bed with him. Kevin is, and he's trying to get out of it, and we also hear that old man Marley is his neighbor, and he is supposedly a serial killer that kills people with a snow shovel. The story is obviously bullshit when told by Buzz, but when you're watching him and listening to it, it's actually kind of creepy. 
Oh yeah. If you're a fucking, cause what he's supposed to be an eight year old kid right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the kind of story that, that would terrify you. Um, one quick thing about, uh, Fuller when, uh, when they do that shot and it's like, you got to sleep on the height of bed with Fuller and he's like <laughs> chugging and smiling. He's drinking Pepsi. Keep right. that in mind. Okay. Well, long story short, there's a pizza dude. He shows up wanting 12250, which that many pizzas would cost way more than that now. Yes. <laughs> and he, I think he hits the statue when he pulls up, knocks it over, right? Like yes. both times he comes. So he does that the first time he comes here. And we find out that the cop is wanting to talk to the parents about burglars in the area and find out when they're leaving, how long they're going to be gone, what security they might have in the house to protect them. And we see that he has a shiny gold tooth that Kevin sees. And he... he I mean, it's suspicious in a way, but he also makes it sound like they're trying to watch the houses that are going to be vacant. Yeah. Back when this came out, this did not seem odd. Probably not. No. I mean, if this happened today, it'd be like, who are you? Get the fuck out of my house. And the house is like a Chicago mansion. I mean, yeah. they're obviously quite wealthy. So, which is why the wet bandits choose this neighborhood, right? <laughs> but Kevin ends up getting into it with his older brother, Buzz. They make a huge mess in the kitchen, fuck up some shit, and the whole family is pissed at Kevin, and he's forced to sleep in the attic that randomly has a spare bed, and he tells his mom that he hates his family. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. She lets him know that he would be pretty sad if he woke up the next day and his family was actually gone, and he says that he would not care, and he storms off to bed. He then makes a wish before going to bed, and that wish is that they would all just disappear. (laughs) Why don't you all just fade away? We can see this crazy fucking windstorm happen outside. It knocks the power out, which kills all the alarm clocks. The windstorm's actually done kind of supernatural when he makes the wish, yeah. right? Like it did come from the wish. And it's actually shot kind of creepy also. Like they would fit in a horror movie. And I want everyone to remember that this is pre-cell phone era. Yes. If you're wondering why the power knocking them out affected their alarms. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is like a fucking phone booth. We may have to explain a lot of things this episode. (laughs) The family, of course, wakes up late and goes into a rush to get out and make it to the airport in time to catch their flight to, I think it's Paris. It's definitely in France. (laughs) Pally. There are two vans outside to take the family to the airport, and their bags are all getting crammed into the the storage compartments on the vans by the drivers. And we see that the family is going to be separated into two vans. And there's an annoying neighbor kid that comes from across the street. Does this thing have an automatic transmission? Does this thing have four-wheel drive? (laughs) And he was actually one of the kids Chris Columbus interviewed to play Kevin. Oh, God, that kid would have been annoying as fuck. And and that's the thing with this kid. He's being really fucking annoying, and he's annoying the drivers, and they're trying to ignore him. And all the kids start lining up on the van, and he's digging through their bags and going through their shit because he's a miserable little shit. And he has a beanie <laughs> on that looks a lot like Kevin's. And I think it's Kevin's older sister, but it might be his older cousin. She is the oldest of the McAllister kids. She's in charge of counting to make sure everyone gets on the vans and splitting them up. So she goes through and counts. And since the annoying kid has his back to him, she thinks it's Kevin and counts them. Yup. She splits them up. They all get into the van. The kid goes back across the street. He says something about how they're going to Florida the next day. He says, bring me back something French. Oh, yeah. Bring him back something French. As mom tries to get in the van, the utility company walks up and lets her know that they just got the power back on, but the phone lines are a mess, and it's going to take Ma Bell at least a week to get it sorted. I love that it's an actual Ma Bell right. drop because... I'm sure you hear it through work too. Yeah. Like to this day, that's still how it gets said in, in the telecom side. Right. To it this is. day. Yeah. It's great. And 
I don't remember what episode it was, but just one episode last year, and I think I've done it before, but for sure one episode last year, I said Ma Bell with the phone lines being down is a joke. And then I, I recalled it just because I was like, oh my God, they actually said Ma Bell. Oh, that's great. Oh, and to anyone who doesn't understand that, um, before, well, it's, it's really always been AT&T. Um, <laughs> right. Because of, what is it, American Telephone and Telegraph or Telegraph and Telephone? Right. And Bell South and yeah, AT&T, they're South all separate Central companies. Bell. Yeah. But the, for the longest time, it was Ma Bell, and now it's all AT&T, but it's, it's always still been the same monopolistic <laughs> fucking evil families. We'll get into that in the next movie. I'm sorry, Jesse. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, after that uh, Ma Bell name drop, Mom wants to confirm with Heather. I put her name. Heather. I don't know if she's a cousin or a sister, but her name's Heather. But Mom wants to confirm that she counted the kids, and she actually gives Mom a breakdown by gender and age, which all checks out, right? She's like, this many boys, this many girls, this many adults, this many are in this van. Like, she counted it all. Remember that Mom said there were 15 people in the house the night before, so that's a lot to have to keep up with Yeah, when you're running late, right? The family barely makes it to the flight in time. The airport attendant just shut the door like letting you walk across the breezeway into the plane and they get them to open it. And she's like, oh, you just barely made it. And she's not even counting heads. She just takes the stack of tickets from mom because the plane's got to take off. Yeah. Let's them all on. And if this seems odd to you, this is actually semi-realistic to pre-9-11. Oh, yeah. 100%. Airports were super lax before 9-11. So it's a family. They obviously trying to get there for Christmas. They got a stack of tickets and they're off by one who gives a fuck at that point, right? But these seats are first come, first serve seats and the family's scattered throughout the plane. Also, the adults are in first class and the kids are in coach, which there's like a curtain up which separates them even further. Hope we didn't forget anything. They did a really good job of making the mom miss them not having Kevin. Like, I feel like everything was covered. Yeah, the whole aim for that angle, I buy it. Yeah, yeah. If his goal was to close up any loophole. I feel like he hit a lot of it. I think I do a breakdown in here. <laughs> if not, I'll, I'll add it in later, but I think it's believable and it was done really well. And, and actually when I was writing this part of my notes, I texted Josh and I said, make sure you go into detail, anything <laughs> that could make them forget Kevin, just cause I hadn't watched the second. I mean, I watched these all the time with my kids, but I hadn't watched it for the podcast yet. And I wasn't sure if they went through such great lengths. Ah, uh, okay. So I wanted you to notate it. So. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. <laughs> it's a surprise for us all. <laughs> but Kevin wakes up after the plane is taken off, and he comes down from the attic, realizing that he's, well, home alone. Dude, he comes down with his hair all fucked up, oh, yeah. scratching his ass, looking like me when I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I fucking love that shot. Yeah. It's adorable. But he checks the basement, because he's checked the rest of the house, and we find out he's terrified by the evil furnace, which is apparently two flashlights and some guys with fishing line. It's not Freddy Krueger? No, no. Okay. He sees that the cars are still there in the open garage. I want to point out the garage doors are up because it's a detached garage in the yes. back. And the, the doors are up and you can see cars in there. So he says, well, they couldn't have gone to the airport because he must not have known about the vans. He's eight. Who the fuck are you going to tell? Like, why the fuck would you tell an eight-year-old all the details, right? Exactly. So he thinks he made his family disappear with his wish. And he could not be any more excited. <laughs> We get a montage of Kevin eating junk food, jumping on the beds, and going through Buzz's chest of secret shit. And he says that Buzz's girlfriend is woof. But Chris <laughs> Columbus did not want them to say anything mean about a girl in the movie because he just thought it was not right, right? And he's okay. like, I don't want to do that. So he's like, we'll just get a boy and put a wig on him and a little bit of makeup. So it'll be a boy dressed as a girl. 
and it was like the art designer, set designer, somebody's son. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. That's pretty funny. Probably regrets it now because nobody thought the movie was going to be huge. Well, that and it's 2023. Now you're pissing off a lot of people knowing <laughs> right. that this is how they did it. <laughs> but, you know, if he was going to make a joke about the girl not looking like a girl or something, he wanted it to not actually be a girl. So nobody's feelings would get hurt. No, that's fine. And I've always dug that, that he's like, woof. Like, it's, it sounds more like something a kid would right. say. Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty funny. <laughs> He's great in this movie, but after looking at the picture and going through the chest, Kevin sees Buzz's BB gun mounted on the wall, and he grabs it, and he sets up toys or something in the, uh, the laundry chute, laundry shoot, right, to shoot at, and apparently he's a crack shot with that motherfucker. So for not being able to play with said BB gun of Buzz's, he's pretty good with it. <laughs> he goes for another round of junk food, and he puts in the super violent movie, Angels with Filthy Souls. <laughs> that the older kids and his uncle were watching the night before and they wouldn't let Kevin watch because his mom's like, if your uncle won't let you watch it, it must be bad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a fake movie they shot for this movie. It is based off of like an old Cagney film kind of, which is like angels with something or something that's filthy. I don't remember. It's like a play off the name, but it's as iconic as the rest of the film at this point. (laughs) I'm going to give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property. Before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. (laughs) Keep the change, you filthy animal. At this point, Kevin yells for his mom when he sees the violent shooting. And we can see her in the plane, like, just jarred, like she just felt it, right? A disturbance in the force. Like, billions of voices were silenced all at once. (laughs) And she thinks she forgot something. So mom and dad go through a checklist of things, and it seems that everything's in order other than, oh, I forgot to close the garage, right? Let's put a bow on that. (laughs) But she still thinks that it might be something else, and then suddenly it comes to her. Kevin! Mom feels terrible, and the captain has radioed the airport to call the house, but the phone lines are out, so they can't call. Dad tries to make her feel better by saying, don't worry, honey. We didn't forget them. We just miscounted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Cheapo Uncle says that if it makes her feel any better, he forgot his reading glasses because <laughs> he's an asshole. He is. He's a piece of shit. Back at the house, Kevin gets to do all the shit that he's normally not allowed to do, like sled down the stairs, which looks like a lot of fun. Except that shit didn't line up. <laughs> Chris Columbus has the sled autographed by everybody. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, they did that years later on uh, either Jackass or Viva La Bam or something. They're like, you know what? These stairs actually line up with the front door. And so they set up a sled and they put down the fake ice skating stuff on the stairs to make it go faster. Okay. And did it with the door shut. Mm. (laughs) Andrew, that we grew up with, we uh, did a laundry basket down the stairs and out the front door. (laughs) That was pretty fun. Somebody flipped. I don't, it might have been him because he was smaller than the rest of us. But See, watching violent movies doesn't cause kids to commit violent acts. This was pre-Jackass and CKY2K, I think. I think this was oh, yeah. like Home Alone. We were just trying to Home Alone it. There you go. <laughs> but we see Harry and Marv in their van talking about there being five houses on one block alone with no one home. And Harry even has the timers written down and memorized for all of their automatic lights because he knows who has them. Because <laughs> he interrogated everybody, right? Yep. He knows what to hit, when to hit it, and they're ready. So crowbar's up. Which is their thing. That's their cheers. And the wet bandits head out to do their thing at their first target, the McAllister house. 
Dun, dun, dun. Kevin wakes up from sleeping on the couch here in the burglars outside his house, and we can see them walking through the yard, and they go by the open garage just to make sure you know the cars are still there, right? <laughs> and they go towards the, there's so many doors to this house. I think it's the kitchen door, right? Okay. We'll call it the back door because there's like a basement back door also, yeah. but this is the kitchen back door. And Kevin freaks out and turns the lights on, which scares the burglars away because the automatic lights had already came on, and there shouldn't have been more lights turning on inside the house. So they think maybe they were off by a day for the departure of the family. Yup. Because they could see the cars in the garage as well. We cut to France with the family rushing through the airport to like the pay phones, to make calls, to try to get a hold of Kevin. They call everyone in mom's address book, but everyone they know is out of town for Christmas. They run that poor French lady off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mom calls the police department to tell them what's going on. So they hear her say something about a kid and immediately transfer to child services, which involves a phone transfer and knocking on the wall because they're on the other side of the wall. And the camera pans over and we see the child services guy eating a donut and going through a scripted checklist about poisons, choking, etc. Until she screams that they left the son at home and he's like, oh, you're going to talk to the police. Transfer, knock on the wall, goes back over and she's sent back to the police. But she does manage to get someone to send an officer to the house, and it is hilarious. Dude, the funniest thing about the scene is the hunk of donut that falls on the receiver of the phone, and he keeps on talking, and <laughs> yeah. then it falls, and you can hear they added in the foley of it smacking paper, like, roll with it. It's so good. Never notice. I'm going to have to uh, watch the movie again. Just check out the fucking donut. My kids are going to watch it again anyways. So. <laughs> Back at the house, Kevin decides he should not hide under the bed any longer because he's the man of the house now. And he runs outside to start yelling that he's the man of the house and he's not afraid anymore. And he seems to mean it until old man Marley pops up from around the corner, scraping snow, and he runs inside the house screaming. Because old man Marley is his actual next door neighbor. He doesn't yeah. just live on the street. Kevin hides under the blanket and he hears a knock outside. He's scared because of the robbers and old man Marley, so he ignores the knock. Little does he know it was the police coming to check on him and they radio in that the house is locked up tight and no one seems to be home. Tell them to count their kids again. <laughs> Back at the airport, we find out that they cannot get a flight to anything remotely close to the Chicago area until Friday, which is a few days away. And the family decides to go to the hotel and wait until Friday while mom sleeps at the airport, hoping to catch a standby flight home or somewhere near home. Yup. When we get back to Kevin, we can see him going through another day. Home alone. <laughs> As he takes a shower, climbs up Buzz's shelf to steal his life savings out of his piggy bank, breaking all of the shells, falling down, shattering his collectibles, and managing to get a handful of cash while also setting the pet tarantula free. Freedom! <laughs> Luckily, Buzz just fed him a shitload of mouse guts, and he should be good for a few weeks. <laughs> you held that all the way to there. <laughs> and I don't think I notated it, Anywhere else in the movie, but throughout the movie, when Kevin's doing stuff, you randomly see the tarantula walk by. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just so you know, he is still around. Kevin heads to the store, which was the first day of shooting, by the way, the whole store scene. Okay. And he sees a weird van at the annoying kid's house across the street and says that he thought they went to Florida. <laughs> we cut to inside the house, and we can see that the wet bandits are robbing the place, ignoring a phone call, which goes straight to voicemail, and it's Peter McAllister saying that they're out of town, and he was just trying to see if they were home. So the robbers now know that the house is empty. Dun, dun, dun. He didn't say enough on the voicemail. <laughs> Our insane son is still there, we hope. <laughs> and uh, they're not just robbing the place. They're like playing with the kids' toys and shit, opening the Christmas presents. <laughs> 
And Marv's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they decide that they're going to hit the McAllister house that night because that was the house that they planned this whole thing off of. That was the that was the big one. Yeah. The big score. That yeah, that had been given Harry a hard on for months. Ooh. We also get to see why I call them the wet bandits here because Marv likes to clog the sinks and turn them on full blast to flood the house when they're gone to leave a calling card to make them famous. Oh yeah, foreshadowing. <laughs> It's funny that you foreshadowed there without me writing it, because I'm going to say, meanwhile, <laughs> it's in the notes, man. We cut back to Kevin and see that he's at a store trying to get a new toothbrush, and he wants to make goddamn sure that it's approved by the ADA. <laughs> Which is funny, because now they all fucking say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably because this fucking movie, man. <laughs> While discussing all of this, old man Marley comes into the store with a bandage on his hand to buy like a first aid kit or band-aids or something. And Kevin sees him, gets scared, and takes off running with the toothbrush in hand by accident, becoming a shoplifter. The clerk runs outside and goes, Shoplifter! <laughs> Which is so funny. And there's a nearby cop who chases Kevin down through the park, through the fake skating rink I mentioned earlier, and Kevin gets away because the cop falls and slides and shit. <laughs> We see Kevin walking down the sidewalk as Harry and Marv argue in their car, and Harry is pissed that Marv did the flooding thing again and says that they don't need that kind of heat on him. While arguing about this, they almost hit Kevin. They then tell Kevin, Merry Christmas, and to watch out for traffic. Sandy don't visit the funeral homes, little buddy. Harry smiles, and Kevin sees the glimmering tooth, making him realize that he met him before as the cop at his house, and he hurriedly heads home. Harry doesn't like the way the kid looks at him and decides to follow him. And they are shitty at tailing somebody because they are like 10 feet behind him driving real slow. They're like Dean and Supernatural. How the fuck do you not hear that car? <laughs> right. And, and Kevin realizes this, obviously, since they suck and runs away to shake them and ends up hiding in a manger scene, which is smart so that the killers don't know where he actually lives. Right. And they think he went into the church or something and they're not going to go in the church because Marv's scared of churches. <laughs> Oh, God, was that supposed to be a Jew joke? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't think about that until the Happy Hanukkah. Right, right. the second one, fuck. <laughs> Marv wants to know why Harry thinks the kid looks familiar, and he's like, I don't know, I saw over 100 kids this week, and I couldn't tell you if I knew him or not. The scene with them almost hitting Kevin was done by having McKelly Culkin walk backwards, and if you watch the scene with that in mind, you can tell he's walking backwards, while the car drove backwards. Okay. And then they played it in reverse. I knew there was something fucky about it, like how his scarf moves, and that explains it. He does like the overly hunched over legs bent too far, corn cob up the ass walk, and it's I, a I really quick say, scene. Is this a night trap reference? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it looked really cool. You know, it's a. I think it's kind of iconic shot, and it, it looks really nice because they actually did it. They just did it backwards. Oh yeah, and it's if I remember right, it's like before everybody was dickheads about having to pay car companies, and it either says Dodge or Ram right in his fucking face while it's happening. It's great. Yeah. But that night, the wet bandits show up at the McAllister house, and if I didn't mention it, I I think it's when they're in the van in front of the church. He's like spying, and he hears them say they're going to come back that night. Okay. Like he knows they're coming that night for some reason. He heard it somehow. But when the wet bandits roll up, there appears to be a party inside the McAllister house. You can see lots of people moving through the curtains and hear loud music. But inside, we can see that Kevin is using mannequins and cardboard cutouts on strings, spinning on record players, driving around on a toy train set to look like people moving around in the house, casting silhouettes on the windows and curtains. Or Ferris Bueller skipping school. <laughs> this is a little bit more hardcore. Oh, it, it's of that. very much hardcore. I would have liked it better if Michael Jordan was there, but whatever. <laughs> 
The mannequins are actually kind of explained by the mom being a fashion designer. We never knew what they did, but if you pay attention, there's like shears all over the house, lots of cloth, glue, there's mannequins on the basement, so clearly somebody works in that industry, and... Either Chris or John even said in an interview that she was a fashion designer, and I don't remember what dad was. Rich. Rich. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. I never never heard this and never picked up on any of it. If you ever wondered why there's an abundance of mannequins in the house, that's why. It's never said in the movie, but they, you know, when you're writing a script, you write out the characters. Yeah. So they gave them an excuse to have them in there that they didn't clarify so much in the film. Holy balls. Somewhere in here, we cut to the family in the hotel in France as dad's trying to call around to more people and still has no luck finding anyone. Kevin's sister is worried about something happening to Kevin while Buzz gives the A, 2, D, three reason speech. And I still to this day do that as a joke because it's hilarious. It's one of my like favorite little jokes that sticks to me out of this movie. There were a lot more hotel scenes of the family in the film originally, but when the screeners saw it, they just wanted to see more Kevin. <laughs> so that was something they wrote. They're like, can we show the family less and show Kevin more? <laughs> so bye, family. You just got cut. Little Nero's pizza shows up, hitting the lawn ornament once again, which is this big-ass like bronze statue that just falls right the fuck over. Yep. And he's got pizza for Kevin. Kevin talks to him through the door by using the scenes from the fake movie because the lines go along with it if he rewinds and fast-forwards it. And it sounds like he's actually paying, and he sticks money out there and doesn't leave a tip. It's like all a joke with the movie scene. The driver gets scared because the movie threatens to shoot him, and he hears the gunfire start. So he takes off running and trips. Keep the change, you filthy animal. And he doesn't tell the cops. Right, right. <laughs> Found a loophole, John Hughes. At the airport, Mom is still having a hard time getting a standby seat. And we see her try to bribe this old lady to get her seat with, like, earrings and a watch. That It's not a Rolex, but who could tell? And all sorts of stuff, money. And then the husband's like, we don't need this shit. We're taking the airplane. And she's got a whole shoebox full of earrings. Right, right. And um, the mom says something, you know, really sad. And it really speaks to the old couple. And they decide to give her their seat. And it gets her back to the States, but nowhere near Chicago. Yup. But she is closer to her destination. Back at home, Kevin's starting to get lonely and sleeping with a pic of his family, saying that if he gets him back, he'll be good to him. And I can tell you from experience that I'm happier in a pig and shit every summer when my wife and kids go out of town for a few weeks. <laughs> for about the first three or four days. And then you start <laughs> to miss everybody. You've already partied out and ate everything you wanted. Yup. See, when, when the wife goes to her weekly corporate trip, it's like three days of, I can do whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. And then about the time the cats start being nice to me, like, you bring us our food now. I'm like, yeah, I miss I miss, I miss, miss the wife. <laughs> I assume you mean monthly trip. That's about every other month. Well, you said weekly. So I was like, damn, she's gone three oh, days no, no, out of the week? No, 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 no. I really fucked that up. When she goes, she goes for a week. Okay. I, 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 I use words bad. <laughs> I knew what you meant, but I thought I should... Clarify your story for the listeners. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but we get another day with Kevin that starts them taking a shower and doing the accidentally flubbed aftershave scene that became so famous, and he goes to the grocery store shopping. He has to trick the clerk into thinking that he's not alone, and he has an answer for every question she has, and it's kind of hilarious, and it's, it's one of those things like only Macaulay Culkin can talk like that and convey lines like that, and it'd be awesome. Yes. I give him shit about 
quote unquote overacting and it's because of some of the lines that he was given and the way he was told to portray them, they're never going to be perfect. But um, if you took any other kid actor from that time and probably even this time, it'd be like, it won't work at all. Right. Like it's amazing the amount that he got away with. What else is amazing is have you looked, we talked about the pizza, you know, 10 pizzas times $12, 120, whatever. Um, <laughs> have you looked at what all he buys while he's there? And it's 19 bucks. Mm-mm. Okay, so it's a whole thing of Tide. Okay. So there's your 19 bucks. Right. It's liquid. Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Bad subject right now. <laughs> we got to go fight people for eggs. Bread. Okay. Two frozen dinners. There's a gallon of milk, I think. Half yeah. gallon of milk. And more shit. And it's $19. Jesus. Our dollars not worth shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was a sticking point for me. <laughs> it's true, though. The eggs have gotten better, though, in case you're wondering. Yes, yes. We eat a lot of eggs in the house. It, it's about half. <laughs> But it you know tripled, so there's a bigger problem there. But to go back with with the way the the lines are delivered, he he talks like a little old man when he says it, and that's probably what you have yeah, kinda. against it. And a lot of people usually do, but he's really good at saying the stuff serious, like an old oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> it was just it was a trick he could do, and it, it worked for these movies. But now that he has said laundry detergent that would cost at least nineteen bucks. <laughs> He goes home to do his own laundry in the basement, and he tells the furnace to shut up because he's not scared of it anymore. So we can see that Kevin has grown. Now you're on my own. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Now it's going to be stuck in my head. But (laughs) he couldn't pack his own suitcase before. Now he can go get his own ADA toothbrush. He can go grocery (laughs) shopping. He can do his own laundry. He's a big kid. Talking to the store clerk about his 401k and his Roth IRA. (laughs) <laughs> I got to get some eggs. I think a recession's coming on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You'd be better off spending your money on chickens at that point. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but we see the wet bandits pull back up to his house and they're confused because it looks empty again. And it was a party last night. Harry thinks it's awesome. He sends Marv to go scout it and he starts to check the kitchen door and Kevin spots him. And knows he's out there. He starts to play the movie again with the keep the change you filthy animal scene while rigging up a pot with firecrackers that we saw him steal from Buzz's chest. Marv thinks he thinks the name Snake sounds familiar because he's like, God, you (laughs) did something with snakes. I don't remember. And he bails when he hears that Snakes is about to get shot. The firecrackers goes off. Here's the gunfire. He gets scared. He actually believes it. And he runs into the van telling Harry that he heard snakes just got iced in the house. And Harry thinks he knows it got him snakes too. He doesn't know what's familiar. <laughs> and it's funny because it's an old black and white movie. So it's probably like something they watched when they were kids. Yep. So they know the name, but they just can't place it. Like if you told me somebody from It's a Wonderful Life's name without the context of the movie, I might not realize it. Right? Like it's that kind of thing. <laughs> But Harry wants to wait and see who comes out of that house because they work the same neighborhood too. And if they get questioned about it, they might want to be able to tell the cops who murdered somebody to get the heat off of them and not get blamed for it. It was these guys who robbed all the houses. Right. (laughs) We cut to mom at an airport now in the States, and she cannot get a flight to Chicago until the next day. She gives this awesome angry speech about how she's been up for 60 hours, stinks, has been from Chicago to Paris to Dallas, and she's now in Scranton and (laughs) needs to get home to her son. So she's probably done a second airplane at this point, like from Dallas to Scranton. (laughs) Dude, I love it because she's like, I've been from here to here to here to where the hell am I? (laughs) Scranton. Yeah, Yeah, here. (laughs) But she even offers a Faustian bargain to get there. (laughs) It strikes again. Look at you go. She says she'd sell her soul to, to get home to her kid. <laughs> she does. 
Then John Candy, the devil. I mean, the <laughs> Polka Police, goddammit. <laughs> the Polka King overhears this conversation and offers to give her a ride in the rental van that his band just got. And this is the almost entirely improv Kenosha Kickers Polka 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 <laughs> scene. They're going to drop her off on the way to their destination. And throughout the movie, we will see several scenes of mom in the van talking to John Candy, which is basically all the scenes that took 23 hours. Hey, at least by now, she smells as bad as that band. <laughs> right. The Kenosha Kickers. <laughs> Back in Chicago, we can see Kevin cutting down a tree as a Christmas tree for his house as the bandits are napping in the van, but they hear him and it wakes him up and they realize that they're getting scammed by Kendy Gardner. <laughs> Harry spies on Kevin through the window while he's decorating the Christmas tree and realizes it's the same kid from the day before. Kevin spots Harry by seeing his reflection in a glass ornament and acts like he's talking to his dad in the other room. But Harry calls bullshit on this and says that they're going to come back at nine o'clock tonight. But Kevin overhears them planning to come back at nine o'clock and knows that he has time to prep. I feel like the nine o'clock thing was an exact time as a joke because apparently the only negative thing I could find anybody saying about Joe Pesci is they would like, you know, hey, we're going to be on set at seven. And he'd basically tell them to go fuck themselves. He's <laughs> not going to go on set at seven when they don't need him. And yeah. It's because he golfs every morning. Like he's obsessively uh... into golf. So he would tell them, I'll be on set at nine o'clock when you fucking actually need me. <laughs> so I'm assuming the nine o'clock is because he's like, Chris, I'm not fucking coming on set before oh, nine. That's great. You tell me to come in six or seven. You don't actually need me till nine. I'm not going to fucking be there. <laughs> And I'll bet he was never fucking wrong either. <laughs> but Kevin does what any eight-year-old kid in the situation would do. He goes to Santa Claus for advice. Yeah. <laughs> he runs up to the shop or whatever, and, and they've closed up for the night. And there's an elf with, you know, cool shoes, as Kevin puts it. And he wants to know where the big man is. And she says he's over there getting into his car. And Kevin runs over and lets him know, hey, I know you're not the real Santa, but I know you're one of his helpers. And you can get word back to him. <laughs> And he wants Santa to know that he wants his family back for Christmas. And Santa says he'll tell the big guy and he'll see what he can do. And he tries to give him like an old mint out of his pocket because kids should get candy. The car won't start and he's beating on it and stuff. The car actually wouldn't start. That's great. But I do want to point out, he gives him Tic Tacs. Is it Tic Tacs? Okay, it's yeah. Tic Tacs. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like a Werther's original. <laughs> I don't know why. I invented old people candy got, out of my head. You have a bad memory that happened to you with a Werther's original, don't you? I like Werther's original. I love them, dude. Yeah. It's when I would think I was getting candy and get a fucking hauls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I liked me some great hauls when I was a kid, though. <laughs> Make your throat go numb. Oh. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's not what I meant, Josh. <laughs> I love it when we cover Christmas movies. <laughs> we don't even have eggnog. I know, right? We're fucking this up. We should have. I don't know how we would have. We would have had to have actually made eggnog. Yeah, there's. Yeah. it's not in season. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Kevin heads back home from seeing Santa's helper, and he sees all of these families through the windows of their houses celebrating Christmas, and he starts to get sad. So... Naturally, he heads to the church for Christmas Eve mass. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so they are Catholic. <laughs> I'm guessing that looks like mass to me. The church scene was always in the film and planned to be there, but it was just going to be like a quick stop. 
it was Chris Columbus's idea to make it really feel like Christmas to have like a whole Christmas choir going on and the decorations and have old man Marley spot Kevin and come over to check on him and tell him his story and then Kevin give him advice. That was all a Chris Columbus idea. That was the only thing deviating from John's script other <laughs> than John Candy Wing and stuff. Like he went all out on the old man Marley thing. And we find out that he's not a serial killer and he's actually a nice old man. But it's interesting what Chris Columbus is willing to add to a film to make sure it's a good old family Christmas story with the family coming together. Yeah. He just doubled down on it. <laughs> but at this point, Kevin hears the bells going off in the church, letting him know what time it is. And he runs out of the door of the church into the third act to the most epic part of the score to me. This is my house. I have to defend it. <laughs> That's funny because I was about to go. There's a lot of memorable parts of the score to this movie, but that is the standout one to me. It's because it sounds metal. <laughs> Maybe. I actually like sometimes when I'm watching things or, or planning something, I'll hear that one in my head. Like that's my like filler score. <laughs> Cue the motivational music. <laughs> exactly. Well, we can see that Kevin has this crayon-drawn map of his plan to protect his fortress, and I think it even says battle plan on it. Yes. They had Macaulay Culkin draw the map himself in crayon. Nice. So that was an actual Mac-made uh, set piece and not done by like the art department. We then get a montage of him setting up his booby traps throughout the house, and I'm not going to go into all of them here because they're <laughs> about to pop up and get covered in more detail in a minute, so there's no point in doing it twice. But it does include icing the stairs, setting up micro-machines in the hallway, broken ornaments at the windows, and of course, the paint can. <laughs> Which that was just a couple months ago on our, our Christmas episode. Yes. The wet bandits show up right as Kevin sits down to eat his TV dinner and he's praying. He doesn't even get to eat before this epic battle. <laughs> Candle lit. Right, Mac right. Mac and cheese dinner. <laughs> He hears the grandfather clock letting him know that it's now 9 o'clock and Joe Pesci's back from playing golf. And <laughs> he prepares for battle. The bandits head to the kitchen door asking Kevin to let him in as Kevin sticks the BB gun out through the doggy door. They don't have a dog or a cat. Touche, honky. That just clicks. But anyways, he shoots Harry in the nuts with <laughs> the BB does. gun. Yep. We get a lot of his made-up language here. <laughs> Marsh sticks his head in the door, because that makes sense, and takes a BB to the face. This is pre-CGI, so the whole thing was animated and composited over, and you can tell because there's no motion blur on the BBs. Yeah, it's not great. They split up, and Harry goes to the front door while Marv goes to the basement door down the stairs. Harry slips on his stairs, falling back onto the sidewalk, slamming down hard. Marv slips down the basement stairs into the door, hitting it. Then he tries to prop himself up with a crowbar until he slips and falls again, and the crowbar just kind of hangs on the door and then falls and hits him in the head. Yes. They both battle with their separate stair sets a couple more times <laughs> and have a few more hilarious accidents until Marv finally makes it into the basement and sneaks around until finding the light chain to turn the light on. This pulls an iron down through the laundry chute, nailing him in the forehead, and it really left its mark. Oh. <laughs> Harry finally makes it up the stairs to his door, and he grabs the door handle, which has like a portable heater attached to it, scorching his hand and branding a logo into his hand. And wow, I really could have left the mark joke for there. <laughs> that was the more obvious spot. But there's an M branded into his hand for McAllister. Forever. Forever. It, it, at least until the sequel. <laughs> Back in the basement, we can see that Marv is halfway 
up the stairs into the house with his shoes and socks stuck in tar on the stairs. And then he goes to step onto one of those steps to get towards the door and steps onto a nail that we saw Kevin nail through the board that goes into his foot and making him fall all the way back down the stairs into the concrete basement floor. And I did want to point out that Marv requested and wore rubber feet the entire movie, just like... Bruce Willis didn't die hard. Oh, okay, okay. That's going to make the next scene make a lot more sense. Harry goes to the kitchen door, checking the doggy door, and then tapping the handle really quick to make sure it's not hot. (laughs) And he then busts into the door, taking a flamethrower to the head, and then running back out. My kids asked me how this was done when I was watching this the other day, because they love this fucking movie. So if I'm watching it, they might as well watch it. And I explained the magic of compositing to my kids and explained the scene perfectly right like they shot the flamethrower and then they shot joe pesci and they just kept part of this frame and part of this frame and it looks great right yeah they were amazed compositing sounds really cool i then actually researched how they did it because i was just going off of like film knowledge right like this is how i would have done it right and i was wrong okay it's pepper's ghost oh really yeah so Anyone that doesn't know what Pepper's Ghost is, it's you're using a piece of glass at a 45-degree angle in between the camera and the shot, and it captures the reflection. It looks like a ghost. Disney uses it on a lot of their rides, and it's been done in movies forever. But the way they did it is they had Joe Pesci come in the door at the exact right angle. They had the glass at a 45-degree angle. They had a black curtain with a black blowtorch and a black mannequin head, which Chris Columbus still has. <laughs> and they blowtorched the the mannequin head. So knowing this, I rewatched it again, and you can see the curtain's wrinkles on the right side of the really? scene. Yep. And if you look, there's a random black oval around Joe Pesci's head as he's moving it. Now that I thought I saw, it looked really weird around the, the flames connecting with the head. Always looked weird. Right. And it's because it's the reflection of the the flamethrower hitting the black mannequin head. And the only thing that should show up in the reflection, for the most part, is the light, which is the fire. Yeah. Everything else is black. But you got some wrinkles in there, and the mannequin head was bigger than Joe Patrick's head. Well, at the angle, they shot it at. Yeah. It's actually really cool. However, I think they could have done it the way I said it back in 1990. Oh, yeah. And it would have been easier. Uh, if you can do it in camera, one and done. It's still in camera. Well, it's but it still requires some work in post, yeah. the actual compositing. Yeah, yeah. Either way, <laughs> Joe Pesci goes, ah! <laughs> and he dives in the snow, right, to put now, his head out. Did you, yes. Did you find anything that explains why the burnt hair pattern looks like a soccer ball? No, and I never noticed it looked like a soccer ball. It looks like a fucking soccer ball. Okay. It's always bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut back to an iron-faced Marv as he barely makes it up the ice stairs back outside of the yard and yells to Harry that he's coming in because he sees a window. Meanwhile, Harry's in the house and goes after Kevin, who's taunting him, and he runs into a like hung piece of saran wrap with super glue or something on it, yanks it off and then gets hit with a pile of feathers from a fan into the face, feathering him, right? Which gives you a great line here in a minute. Yes. (laughs) Marv finally finds a safe (laughs) way into the house through the window until he steps on the broken ornaments, which were made out of candy. Everybody says candy on everything, but I'm like, is that not sugar glass? (laughs) Like technically candy? I don't know. Yes, it's candy glass. He's got rubber feet. It doesn't matter. Exactly. (laughs) Harry and Marv finally meet up, and Harry wants to know why Marv took his shoes off, and Marv wants to know why Harry's covered in feathers and looks like a chicken. (laughs) Why do you look like a chicken? (laughs) (laughs) Kevin is sitting at the top of the stairs and asks them if they give up or if they're thirsty for more, and he takes off running. They rush to the stairs after them, stepping on micro machines on the floor, throwing them up in the air and doing a home alone, slamming on their backs. That shit looks like it hurt. Yes. I miss micro machines. <laughs> yep. So do I. <laughs> 
Not only are they hitting the floor, bro, they're landing on micro machines. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But they take turns trying to run up the stairs and they both take a paint can to the face. Yes, that scene. And at this point, <laughs> Harry's lost his gold tooth somewhere on the floor and doesn't know where it's at. Kevin runs down the hall, setting up a trip line, and then he calls 911 with a fake adult voice for the police to come and get the wet bandits at the house across the street. However, why did he not just call the cops and say the wet bandits will be at my house at 9 o'clock tonight? Ooh. I saw McCallie Culkin doing an interview with Jimmy Fallon five years ago, and Jimmy Fallon asked him if there's anything that ever bothered him about the movies, and McCallie Culkin said that the plot hole that's always bothered him is that... Kevin could have just called the cops and said the burglars are here or the burglars will be here later. Yeah. And instead he waits till after, you know, he's tortured them. That's a shitty one. I'm yeah. sitting here going like, did the phone company get the phones working by now? That's all I'm thinking about. They did. Yeah. I but, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they see Kevin running for the attic and they chase him, tripping on the tripwire he just set up. And Harry gets knocked out when he falls over and Marv falls forward and dives a bit for Kevin, grabbing his pants leg. He has Kevin and he's yelling that he's got him to Harry, who's unconscious. <laughs> And Kevin doesn't know what he's going to do. And the tarantula that's been walking around the house the whole fucking movie walks by the attic stairs. And he picks it up and puts it on Marv's face, making Marv let him go. And the scream is hilarious. Real. That's not like 80 yard after the fact. Uh -uh. Because he asked the animal handler if it would hurt the spider if he screamed. And he's like, they don't have ears. You're good. <laughs> so he screamed like that. And it's hilarious. And um, they didn't let him know it was not a defanged spider. So luckily... <laughs> didn't bite him when he did it. That scream is so fucking good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we get a more epic version in the next film. <laughs> so where were we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin makes it to the attic to a zip line, and he takes it to the treehouse. Meanwhile, Marv takes his crowbar to beat the spider to death. Unfortunately, the spider's on Harry, and he beats the shit out of Harry in the process. The spider makes it, by the way. Yeah. He aims like a stormtrooper. <laughs> but hey, Harry woke up. <laughs> the bandits make it to the zipline and decide to hand over fist, climb to the treehouse because they're sure that he wants him to run back through the house, through the you know house of tear or whatever, and get messed up some more. Yeah. And I think Harry even says it's not like he has a phone in the treehouse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they, make, they keep saying I'm calling the cops. Yeah, yeah. They make it halfway across the zip line until Kevin pulls out a pair of garden shears, cutting the line and making them swing backwards into the giant brick wall of the house and then fall like a story and a half into the snow. Is that the part where he's like, hey guys, check this out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so funny in this movie. Kevin was honestly my hero watching this. And he's he's my son Aiden's hero. My son's got like the blonde hair and the blue eyes, and he's you know he's nine now, so he's like the right right age. And we bought him PJs that look like Kevin's for Christmas Eve. You want to go to Paris? <laughs> Why are we going to Paris? <laughs> so he gets a chance to fuck up some robbers. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm the cheapskate uncle. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but you're the uh, what do you call it? Dink. Dink, yeah, double income, no kids. <laughs> they see Kevin as he runs across the street from the treehouse into the neighbor's house, which is the one that Marv flooded earlier. He says, hurry up or I'll call the cops yet again. And he takes the basement door, but Harry decides they're going to outsmart the kid and not go the route he went in case it's booby-trapped. And they decide to go through the front door because they were already in this house and they know how to get in it. And they grab him and hang him up on the door and threaten to do everything to him that he did to them. Yeah. 
And there's a quick scene of Harry saying something about biting his fingers off and he goes to bite it and the camera cuts away really quick. Yeah. Supposedly he accidentally bit him and he still has a scar, <laughs> which no, I guess is why it cuts away so oddly. No teeth on flesh. We learned that from critters. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that is why I cut away and make it rated R. You're right. Yo. Holy shit. Everything from uh, recent episodes is coming back to help us <laughs> on this one. Maybe this is what it's like if you record every two weeks. <laughs> Anyways, they've caught him. He's hung on the wall. He's terrified until old man Marley sneaks into the door behind the robbers. They don't see him. And he pelts them both in the back of the head with a snow shovel, knocking them out picks up Kevin, says, I'm going to take you home. The cops show up at the neighbor's house because that's the address Kevin gave 911, not his own house. He kept it clear of this, and they arrest the bandits. And to anyone who's like, why would old man Marley have the snow shovel? Bitch, every time we've seen him in this movie, he's got the fucking right. snow shovel and or the trash can full of salt. It's okay. <laughs> well, and the story Buzz told he kills people with the snow shovel and he puts the bodies and salt in the trash can and it dissolves them. They sprinkles them down the sidewalks. Yeah. And old man Marley in the church even says he knows the bullshit, like creepy stories they make up and tell about them on the street. So, but the police thank the wet bandits for leaving a calling card so that they can know each and every house they hit in Harry is pissed. <laughs> Something just occurred to me. I think I might've just fixed ours and Max plot hole. Okay. He didn't call the cops to his house. He called the cops to the empty house across the street. Yes. He did not want them at his house. Is it because his parents forgot him and left them home? And he did not want his parents to get in trouble, right? Or either he didn't want to get busted because he was home alone, or he didn't want to get his parents arrested for being neglectful parents, or he thinks he fucking wished them away. There you go. All of this makes sense. <laughs> like it's 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 corrected by him calling the police to arrest them at the neighbor's house instead of his own house. Like yeah. he had a reason. They don't say it. It could be any of the reasons I just said or a different one. But we can tell from the way he had them arrested, he did not want the police at his house for some reason. Yeah, he remained out of the picture for yeah. their capture. So, yeah, that, that solves all that. It's now fixed. I don't have any plot holes anymore. Anyways, we're not even at that point of the movie yet, or my notes. <laughs> <laughs> but Kevin watches from the window laughing as the wet bandits are taken away, and he gives an evil smile and waves goodbye to the bandits and then cleans up the house. Leaves cookies for Santa Claus, carrots for the reindeer, and heads to bed. You're supposed to leave carrots for the reindeer? Yeah, why not? We use reindeer food. Oh, I leave brownies. Okay. I mean, you know, because in the middle of the night, I eat the cookies and the brownies. I don't want no fucking carrots. <laughs> you don't have kids yet, so this is really funny. <laughs> I still eat cookies and brownies. <laughs> so you leave them out for Santa, and then you go eat them yourself later? I turn the elf on the shelf around, and I eat them fuckers. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> For real though, my kids at school every year, like every school they've gone to, they make reindeer food. And it's like oatmeal flakes and like glitter and stuff. And you're supposed to sprinkle it in the yard. Okay. You're not eating raw oats and glitter. No. Because no. we've, we've talked about glitter because of legend and, and, and you have kids. So you've pooped glitter before. I didn't know if you were adding to that. <laughs> have, I, have I pooped glitter before? You, you said you did on legend. <laughs> okay. Then maybe I have. I know that glitter can be found anywhere in my house. It's the herpes of the art world. Uh, yep. There you go. <laughs> Jesus, how do I recover from this? <laughs> All right, so we get one last shot of mom with the Polka King as he gives her a speech about how she's not a bad parent and she doesn't make her feel better by letting her know about how all the Kenosha kickers are deadbeat dads, basically, right? And we then cut to Kevin waking up Christmas morning to snow outside and running downstairs yelling for his mom, who's not 
there. Dun, dun, dun. You're alone the rest of your life, kid. <laughs> he's sad, and he checks out the front door on the porch to make sure no one's out front, and you expect mom to be there, and she's not. So he shuts the door and goes in right as the rental van rolls up, because they had to, for some reason, <laughs> drag this out a little bit, make it a little more epic. Oh, yeah. He goes upstairs to sulk with his family photo right as his mom walks in the front door calling his name. He runs downstairs to her, and they embrace after he stares at her fake pissed for a minute. <laughs> While they're hugging, his family walks in the door right behind her. So had she waited until Friday in Paris, she could have just flown back the same time they did. Yup. But at least now she knows she did everything she could to try to get to her son. Oh, we're still keeping her a good mom. I get it. Yeah. Well, I like Catherine O'Hare, so. <laughs> I don't know. Agreed. Buzz lets him know that he's proud of him for not burning down the house and surviving. Mom says she needs to go get groceries, and Kevin lets her know that he went shopping already and they're good to go. He even did the laundry. He even did the laundry. The family now knows that he's matured and grown up. Kevin can leave him behind for all further vacations. Right, right. <laughs> Kevin goes to the window, and we can see that Marley must have called his son because his son is there visiting for Christmas and brought his granddaughter. And if I didn't say so, the granddaughter was singing in the choir, but he wasn't invited, but he went anyways because it was church, so he could see his granddaughter because he hadn't seen her in years. Yes, because that was the whole heart-to-heart of the falling out between right. him and his son and yep. da 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 so we can see that Marley and his son have made up. Marley sees Kevin and waves at him with tears of joy in his eyes. And is this a fucking Chris Columbus film or what? Yeah, it is. Which could have been used in a horror film. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of um, poltergeisty. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Did he rip off poltergeist? Maybe. Just kidding. <laughs> Jesus, Jesse, can you just finish a movie? <laughs> Dad finds the tooth on the ground, and and then we hear Buzz yell to Kevin, wanting to know what the fuck he did to his room. I guess he couldn't fix the shelves, right? He cleaned everything else up. The end. I'm going to go with he didn't want to put up the spider, so Ooh. why even fuck with the room? He wasn't scared to touch the spider, though. He picked it up and set it on Mars' face. His life wasn't. Well, he's grown up now. You know what? I don't fucking care. <laughs> fuck Buzz. If he can get over the furnace, he can get over the spider. <laughs> But this movie was a huge success, as stated before, leading to a real sequel, then a fake one that might as well be considered a spinoff, <laughs> which is part three. It's not even a different actor playing Kevin. It's not Kevin. There is a Netflix remake, which actually isn't bad because they were smart enough to stay in their lane and just have a different story with a different family leaving a kid home in a modern era and not referencing okay. the other. It's just a different kid home alone. That was a smart way to do it. It's not bad. I swear when me and Aiden were looking on Disney Plus, because Disney now owns 20th Century Fox, or yeah. 20th Century as they call it, <sighs> I swear I saw Home Alone 4 on there, but this was St. Patty's Day night, and I was drunk. <laughs> uh, there is a 4. Oh. I, I can't guarantee if you saw it or not but uh, on there, but there is a 4. Okay, so then, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. And uh, there was a NES game that I remember loving yeah, yeah. that you would set up the traps and stuff. It's actually, I, I really got into, there was like a, PlayStation 1 series of games like that where you set up traps, and it all stemmed from that, I think. Um, well, hang on. I'm going to hang there for a second. So while we're talking about games, because there were several games because of these movies, and just a few years ago, Macaulay Culkin did an episode with the Anger Video Game Nerd, James Rolfe, where they reviewed the Home Alone games, and, like, Macaulay Culkin shows up as the pizza guy. Okay. and like I think I saw this, Yeah, actually. It's a, it's a good episode. I got a few other things I'm going to throw in, actually. It's, like, YouTube channels, so it's kind of funny. Corridor Crew did a Home Alone as a horror movie trailer, which a few people have done, right, where they change the music and stuff, <laughs> but... Corridor Crew did their own spin. I, I think I've told you before, they like to do blah, blah, blah if it was rated R. Yeah. 
and they use the actual footage, but they do visual effects on top of it. So in the trailer, it has like all of the scenes where Harry and Marv should have died and like their skulls get crushed in <laughs> and like skin burns off from the flamethrower and all that. And it's pretty fucking awesome. Yes. And there's like a fake voiceover. So it really does look like a rated R, you know, horror movie trailer with effects. Definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. There were different conspiracy theories online about the movie for years. One of them is that Kevin grew up to become Jigsaw of the Saw franchise. What? Yeah, there's entire videos you can watch on it and explain it. <laughs> okay. And McKelly Culkin even addressed it in the Fallon interview I mentioned from five years ago about oh. how people think he saw. I tried to find a video online to link or at least show you where he's older and has long hair and they have him in the basement and he like is setting up traps and he's laughing like he's Jigsaw. Somebody <laughs> did a short thing with him like in the past few years. Couldn't find it. Only searched that like for a minute, right? Okay. I, I couldn't remember what to look for, but it's out there. And this isn't necessarily movie related, but in the same interview, Max said that, you know, Jimmy Fallon asked him like something interesting with his career through his whole life. And he says he's regularly said to be dead online, like yeah. all the fucking time. He says it's crazy. And the first time it ever happened, he was 16 years old. And his lawyer called him to make sure he was alive because they just announced on CNN that he passed away in his in the sleep. <laughs> so Anderson Cooper's disappearing, no who's <laughs> live on the scene <laughs> and reporting Macaulay Culkin is dead. You know what's fucked up about that? So if we go with years, that's way worse now because of fucking Twitter and everything right, else right. on the internet. <laughs> this is way this is pre-internet. He was 16, same age as us, so I just went dumb. He was kicking it with Michael Jackson. <laughs> he was alive. He was just gone to Neverland Ranch for too many days. 86, right? Yeah. Wait, what? No, no, it would have been 88. I was trying to figure out when he would have been 16. It wouldn't have been the 80s. Oh, when was he born? Oh, no, nope, nope, nope. Wait, nope. Wait. I fucked all this up. 90 something, obviously. Anyways. You're doing what's his nuts math from the babysitter killer queen. <laughs> <laughs> too much of this and not enough of this. Exactly. Anyways. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so he's the same age as us, and we were 18 in 2000. Yeah, so 90s. I don't know why I said 80s. And he's probably still got more money than both of us put together. I don't know. I think he did a lot of blow. <laughs> I mean, me too, but I still got some money. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, this is a wholesome family film. I'm just talking about snow. <laughs> it's great. I did not know until talking to Josh earlier. Apparently, he has not seen it since he was a kid. But I still regularly watch this one without kids. And now my kids watch it year-round. It's a lot of fun. We say this all the time on the podcast. It, it's one of those movies where they used a child actor to play the child. And you got to see yourself as the child. And he made some badass booby traps to oh, yeah. fend off his house. And I know anyone our age and, and even my kid's age, seeing it years later, watch that movie and think about ways to set up booby traps in your house. Yep. And now you don't talk about booby trap in your house. You say home aloneing. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you said with the the stunt crew, that that gag is now called a home right. alone gag. Um, and real better watch out. They say, oh, my God, you're going to home alone them. You know, like it's famous. And my kids, have, like my son at least, is like, he calls it Kevin. He's like, oh, I got a, I got a, I got a Kevin idea. I got a, a idea for a Kevin trap. Yeah. And uh, it, it's pretty funny because he is a lovable kid in the movie, especially if you're a kid, right? Like he's cool to you. Yeah. And every kid could probably relate at that age to being a brat with that many siblings and shit around, right? Oh if yeah. You're yeah. the baby or close to the, he's the baby for his family, but Fuller looked younger as a cousin, but still, like you, you could believe his character, you could relate to it, and. uh What's cooler than setting up those fucking traps? It's just a fun movie, and it's a really good Christmas movie. I don't know how Christmassy it would have been 
before Chris Columbus got a hold of it. But you know what? He did, and we're thankful for it. And never seen a movie he made that I didn't like. Uh, I've never seen Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's keep it that way. Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, with Warner Brothers saying, oh, we're not going to give you this last bit of money, on paper, it sounds like one of those dime a dozen stupid heartstring seasonal movies. Like, Nowadays, probably not back then. It's a really original, like, for when it came out. It was, but even then, it's like, oh, okay, it's Christmas. We're going to do a Christmas movie, kid, family, yada, yeah. yada, yada. It's e- it'd be easy on paper to pigeonhole it. If you didn't actually read the script, but I have a feeling those people, like, the they they read the scripts. They're bean counters. They got to figure out where the money's at. And a kid home by himself fighting off burglars never been done, as far as I know. But it but it's still the premise sounds goofy. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you do this and have substance? And they're probably worried about Chris directing it because he'd only Possibly. done two movies and one of them bombed. One well, of them was a hit and one of them bombed. But it is like and like you said, especially these days with the seasonal movies. Like there's so many of them. They're just like oh my god, it's another one. Um, but this one didn't feel like that. Like you said, when we were a kid, when it came out, it was like, fuck yeah, I want to be that kid. Yeah, I still want to be that kid. Like <laughs> Sometimes I go to sleep and have dreams. I'm a child fighting off the burglars. So, As an adult watching it, the interaction with mom, it's played off real well that these spats happen often and that he is kind of a little shit. Yeah, but you're supposed to have the hero's journey and see the character growth, which we got. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> we so, definitely got it in this film, if you if you consider it in a vacuum. But in a we're going to expand yes. in a minute, yeah. But it's still fun. I don't, like you said, it's been forever since mm-hmm. I've watched this or the second one. And um, it just, it didn't get me like that. I bet if I had kids, I'd probably be watching okay. it more. But the wife's like, eh, uh, about it. I, we don't own it. Oh, okay. Uh, see, see, we had it on VHS and it was a Christmas staple every Christmas in my house as a child growing up. So, uh, yeah. See, my, my staple was our mom and dad together this Christmas. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's Meanwhile, I'm true. watching Christmas Vacation and uh, Home Alone. If, if I'm lucky, my mom's baking cookies and I'm building, there's a name for me. I used to know it. It's like this wooden thing. It's like a carousel and you light the candles on it and it spins the fan at the top that makes all the little manger scene characters go around. It's like German or some shit. I'm not okay. German. But like in all seriousness, like when I remember Christmas being good, my mom's baking sugar cookies. I'm building the thingy, which means I get to play with fire. Um, okay. And Glade had those jello looking candles, the red ones and the green ones. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it made your house smell like fucking pine tree and cranberries. Yeah. It's like it's yeah. fucking Christmas. Exactly. But I didn't have Home Alone. Right. <laughs> I did. It, it, it worked. And Die Hard. We had Die Hard. I just actually looked up Die Hard while Josh was talking because okay. we were talking about it started making me think. And I was like, well, this hadn't been done before. Die Hard is like a Christmas movie. Goddamn right. It's it action. Oh, I mean, no, it's a Christmas. It's an argument I have my wife. It's a Christmas movie. But like, it, it's a movie that happens during Christmas that's like action separate from that. And I was curious which came first. And Die Hard came out in 88. So it's yeah. like two years before this. So you had a little bit of that. That's a good example. Like, if John Hughes would have directed the movie, that's probably how much Christmas we would have got in it. Probably. Right. Chris Columbus did it. It was fucking Christmas everywhere. Yeah. Which really adds to the aesthetic of the film for me. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I I like the uh, feel-good family shit in this movie. It's done really well, but that is a... I mean, watch the Christmas Chronicle movies and shit on Netflix. Like, <laughs> he still does it. Anyways, that is Home Alone. If you haven't seen it in forever, hopefully we just rekindled something in your hearts. And uh, go fucking watch it. It's on Disney Plus or probably other shit. But now it's time for Josh to dive into 1992's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. 
All right, so of course with the bank that Home Alone made, there was going to be a sequel. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll get into the setup for that when we get in there. But, uh, of course, we've got Chris Columbus and John Hughes returning once again. Yep. I'm sure some crossover in writing, even though John Hughes is credited. Chris Columbus is not credited for writing Home Alone either. Exactly. No. So uh, especially with the feel-good beats we're going to get in this one, it's Chris Columbus. The cast everybody yeah yeah <laughs> even the two little culkins are back and the leslie vernon chick and big pete everybody's back fucking leslie vernon i'm gonna have a leslie vernon reference later in this episode which oh. is fucking crazy i love that movie um we've got some extras coming in in this one um there's gonna be a bunch of cameos we'll get to those as we go but uh-huh. important new cast members are tim curry as the uh, concierge which his character doesn't have a name, and I can't say that fucking word. So concierge, you can't say it. I always wanted to be concierge, but that's not right. Nope, nope. <laughs> of course, it's Tim Curry. It's fucking Pennywise, right? We've talked about him many times before. We've got Brenda Fricker as the pigeon lady, who's credited as the pigeon lady, right? Um, she's been in a lot of shit. Yep. Nothing, nothing major, like smaller roles, it seems, but a lot of work. Rob Schneider before he went Deuce Bigelow, Mel Gigolo, dude. Like, and the first one wasn't that bad. Holy shit, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's here as the bellhop. He's credited as the the bell something else. But the, oh, really? To me, that job title is bellhop. So that's what I've got him in here as. I'm going to fuck up this guy's name. It's either Eddie Gracken or Eddie Graken, which is going to make me feel like an asshole as Mr. Duncan because he's been in a fuck ton of shit. Been acting since... 1939 okay um and did pass away uh some time ago and that's it so not a lot of setup on this one as far as behind the scenes goes so i just got some shit here that doesn't fit in directly in the movie so here it comes there is a home alone 2 audio storybook that's actually you're listening to tim curry is the one reading it so that's got to be just ear candy guess what i'm getting on audible later when i leave your house (laughs) i just finished uh this should have gone in what we watched i just finished the new fright night origins audiobook written by tom holland and it it's just the setup for a trilogy and it goes into some more backstory of the the film and stuff but the the coolest thing is chris sarandon is the one reading it so jack fucking skellington oh yeah well and jerry dandridge the vampire but (laughs) i would love to hear tim curry read me home on too what does every kid our age remember from this movie it's the talk boy and we will get into some heavy heavy details about the talk boy when we get into this you know there's one at my parents house right oh really yeah my little brother randy had uh he wanted for christmas and he got a talk boy like the nice. official home on talk boy and it's somewhere in the garage but we use that shit like to bust each other like all the time <laughs> i remember me and charlie like going off on him and threatening him and he had the shit recording behind the couch and stuff it was oh, great that is yeah, awesome yeah, actual talk boy um so getting macaulay culkin back was fairly easy million. And his father also said that he wanted him to be in The Good Son as well. And if he didn't get both deals, they didn't get Macaulay Culkin. Oh. And that is how he ended up being cast in The Good Son. Original title for this film, Alone Again, Hmm. which would have been terrible. And, of course, the maker said, like, we don't want people to immediately think that this is just going to be a rehash of the same movie again. Right. Coming fresh off the heels of Babysitter, this is the part where I'm going to say, once again, this film's greatest strength is its greatest weakness. Now, it's a totally different thing. We've got him not stuck at home. We've got him somewhere else. He gets to interact in a whole bunch of other places. Yeah. So, in that respect, it's definitely a different movie. But there are 
gags we're going to revisit. There are lines we're going to revisit. Mm-hmm. There are heartstring moments that are exactly the same that we're going to revisit. And that, that shit's a little weak to me. There's some new ones that uh they really grab you. Uh, when you get to the end, there's one. Because I just watched it yesterday, so I remember. They do hit the same plot points pretty much. But I, I like the revisited jokes, just I like, like I did in Babysitter. Yeah, I like callbacks. Yeah. I just don't like, if it feels like lazy writing, that's, mm. that's mm. what it's too much for me. It's New York. There should be snow when you're shooting this time of year. There wasn't. So they really wanted snow in Central Park. They rented all these fucking snowblowers, and then they had to delay shooting because of all the snow that hit. Okay. And it got ridiculously cold. Okay. And to the point that they had cameras freezing up while they Mm. were trying to shoot. Actually delayed shit a bunch. But they got the snow. They toyed with the idea of fucking Lord of the rings in this shit. And we're going to shoot Home Alone 3. Okay. Alongside with it. Very early idea, very early scrapped. Okay. Could have been good based on what we got after this. Because like we said, there's only two Home Alone movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Home Alone and Vampires. What? Okay. <laughs> Have you been reading my private scripts I've been working on? <laughs> so if I remember right, this was a November release. And it was the highest grossing November release since Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Then it was dethroned as a highest grossing November release by Interview with the Vampire. (laughs) That's just funny. Slightly odd, though. The first one came out in November, and it definitely outsold this one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Oh, I think I... So maybe other than Home Alone. Wait, wait, didn't the first one... No, because that's still November. Are you talking about open and weekend? Because it only did 17 mil open and weekend. just open and weekend. Just open and weekend. Yeah, yeah. uh, well, it's a very narrow... Opening weekend, November movie, like very, very narrow yeah, slot okay. for, for me to make the vampire connection. Um, I'm sorry. I thought you meant like it outsold it. No. So this one uh, got $28 million to shoot and uh, ended up grossing $174 million. It's like 173.58621, whatever. A lot less than the first one. A lot less. You take Even if you take in marketing, though, it's still made bank. One thing that was interesting watching it with my son the other night and then with my daughters the next day when I... I started it over, but it was to finish it because I didn't finish it the first night. Was um, I don't know, just seeing the Twin Towers in oh, the movie, and yeah, the, he yeah. goes on top of one of them too, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah and got, got a little sidebar about that in here. And I was explaining to my kids because they know a little bit, like they know something bad happened on September 11th, right? Yeah, and stuff like that. They they're in elementary school, so they haven't gone into detail, but. I was like, yeah, those buildings aren't there anymore, son. And he's like, what? I, I was going to ask you about that when we got to that part because it made me think of that. Like back then, it was just like, yeah, that's the spot. Like for so long, it was, you know, the Chrysler Building, then the Empire State Building. But then once the World Trade Center was up, it was like, that's iconic. That's the New York skyline. So we start off with a uh, similar title screen to the first one with the, the little blue house and the moon and everything. Only this time it's snowing and we see that the house is actually crammed in between skyscrapers. We're going somewhere different. Uh We see the fam prepping for a trip to Florida this year. (laughs) We hear that Buzz can't tan, and we notice that Fuller has now switched from Team Pepsi to Team Coke. Hey, hey, easy on the fluids, pal. The rubber sheets are packed. I just thought that was odd that it was all fucking Pepsi products, the first movie, and all Coke products, the second movie. Just whoever paid for product placement. Product placement, advertising deals. American Airlines still had this shit on lock, though. (laughs) I never really thought about it till watching it yesterday, but uh, Kevin's mainly pissed about going to Florida because he just wants to see Christmas trees and oh, yeah. all they got is palm trees, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, we're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, that actually never sunk until yesterday. Ah, because the first one, that's my baby. On this yeah. one. <laughs> the first one, the first one's like a baby to me. I watch it all the time. The second one, I don't watch it as much, you know. Like I was telling you, we were getting ready to go, or maybe even earlier in the episode, I didn't realize I knew as much about this movie as I did watch it. I don't know how I saw it enough times to remember all this shit, but. It's a good, memorable movie. It might have just been that. There was one Christmas when my kids watched this one over and over again and didn't watch the first one. Ah. Like the year, like they watched the first one year, then both of them one year, and another year they just wanted to watch the New York one. <laughs> so, I don't know. Some, something about it grabs you as a kid, I guess. So uh, we see Kevin playing with his talk boy while mom <laughs> packs for him because he's a man now, but he still can't pack. And she's showing him the inflatable clown that she's packed for him for the pool. And uh, he could give a shit because Florida doesn't have Christmas trees. All they got is fucking palm trees. I want to talk about the talk boy for a minute. Mm -hmm. John Hughes and Fox both wanted a prop that could be a believable toy, but something that didn't exist. Okay. And had a whole deal set up with Mattel. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Exactly. And like two weeks before filming, Mattel backed out. Oh. Now, if only Tom Kalinske had still been at Mattel. Now, Tom Kalinske is the guy that actually saved Mattel. He was the one who came in and there was the renaissance with fucking like He-Man and uh -huh. Barbie and everything. That was him. And then he left there and went to work for Sega of America and almost saved Sega of America. But Sega of Japan fucked Sega of America over. <laughs> but that's a story for a whole nother thing. Uh, get the book, The Console Wars. It explains it great. There was supposed to be a movie and a documentary, but neither one of them come out. I'm digressing. Talk boy. I have the documentary Console Wars at home. I've seen it. Oh, okay. I don't remember what channel it came on. It was just like two years ago or something. Oh, no, no, no. That's The Console Wars. Oh. Console Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched that too. There was supposed to be one directly based on the book, and the foreword in the book is written by uh, Seth Rogen. Because oh. Seth Rogen was supposed to be doing an actual film, not the documentary film. They were going to do an actual movie movie that was based on this. It was going to be great, and none of that has come huh. to light. But it's still a great book if you're a video game nerd historian and want yeah. to see the the Sega Nintendo battle. Let me roll you back in, though. Tell me about Talk Boy. Okay, yeah, 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 Talk Boy. So they hit up the next best electronics maker from our youth, Tiger Electronics. Oh, those games are <laughs> shit and great at the same time. And Tiger fucking pulled it off. Now, the prop didn't work, obviously. Because it was thrown together too fast, but they did come out with a working toy after the movie was yeah, released. It worked great. My brother had one. Like I said, it took cassette tapes <laughs> and it recorded. I mean, now the deluxe model came out around the time that Home Alone Two had a video release. That was the first one to actually have the slow fast feature. The the OG one didn't have that, but the deluxe did. I believe ours does. I'll have to check. And it sold so well when this fucking movie hit home marketing that they had to pull all their advertising for it because it was gone. They couldn't make anymore. They had fucking commercials and shit that they pulled from the air, print ads that they had to pull because it was like, we did this run. We only thought we were going to sell this many. We miscalculated. Fuck it. We out. They were really cool. They were. And they even had the talk girl and then the digital ones, blah, 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 blah. We're nerds. So I had to hang <laughs> on this for a second. All right. So Tiger made that? Tiger made it. Okay. You remember swapping like the Tiger games? Like you and me oh, would yeah. trade them temporarily. Like we'd, we'd meet up uh, for a birthday or something. It's like, I already beat this one. What do you got? Yeah. Metal Gear Solid was a motherfucker. <laughs> it was like, I got Ninja Gaiden 2. I got Sonic 3. <laughs> Let's swap. Good times. So to bring us back to where we were, Kevin's <laughs> sitting on the bed in mom and dad's room. Mom's packing his bag. Da, 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 da. Because I really <laughs> went on a, off the rails. So Kevin's watching TV while all this is going on. He's watching a game show and a spot for the Plaza Hotel starts playing. And uh, they're giving out what was actually their real phone number in the movie. And Kevin's huh. recording that shit 
on the talk boy. And I don't mean real number in the movie. I mean, in the real world, that was their real yeah. phone number. <laughs> it's the really real world, man. <laughs> so while this is going on, dad pops up and he's needing the camcorder battery. Like, where's the camcorder battery? And she's like, it's on the charger. And he goes and he unplugs the fucking Christmas vacation wad of fucking <laughs> yeah. things out of the wall to unplug it, plugs it back in, resetting the alarm clock. He tells Kevin, he's like, you need to go get your tie. You're almost packed up. It's like, but my tie's in the bathroom. And it's like, Uncle Frank's in there taking a shower. And uh, <laughs> dad tells him that he really needs to go. And Kevin gives him a good reason why he doesn't want to go. He says if I walked in there and saw him naked, I'd grow up never feeling like a real man, whatever that means. So as he goes into the bathroom, he notices that Uncle Frank is singing. He's the king of the cool jerk. Right. And uh, he, of course, records him with his talk boy. This is going to be a reoccurring theme in this movie. And Uncle Frank stops him and he yells at him. He's like, hey, get out of here, you little pervert. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> it was a good idea, though, because it made it where he could do the angels with filthy souls on the on the go. Yeah. Right. Because exactly. there is there is angels with filthier souls in this movie. Yes. But he, <laughs> he had a mobile version of one of his uh, main weapons. Kind yes. Of, from the first one. So pretty neat. One thing um, I was slightly confused on. I'm assuming the inflatable clown gets stuck in dad's bag with dad's swim trunks. Okay. So there's a thing that bothered me because Kevin ends up with dad's bag. Right. But Kevin also has his personal backpack. So I'm guessing. Okay. Because I, I can see it. So he had a backpack and his dad's bag, but then Kevin had his own bag because that's going to come up in a little bit. Right. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. It bothered me because I'm like, if he's got his dad's bag, why is the embroider say K McAllister? Right. I'm like, oh shit, that's not his dad's bag. That's his backpack. That's when I thought about it yesterday is, uh, when the sticky bandits see the backpack and figure out it's him. I was yep. like, hey, wait, what? So, uh -huh. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for uh, clarifying that a bit. So uh, they go on to uh, a Christmas program, which this whole scene is my brain's going, holy shit, fucking Krampus ripped this right off. Because um, <laughs> they're doing this Christmas program. They're singing. They're holding these little electronic candles and shit. And Kevin Solo comes up and Buzz is right behind him. So, uh, Buzz grabs a couple of candles and like first he's holding them up behind Kevin's big ass ears. Yeah. The yeah. whole crowd starts starts fucking just reeling in laughter and he starts drumming on kids' heads and shit. And Kevin finally gets wise to this and he turns around and he smacks Buzz. Yeah. Buzz is built like a brick shit house. Even though dude's slimmed up in this one. He is standing on the back row though with nothing behind him. So he pushes them kind of hard. He can yeah. push them off. But it's enough to knock down all the other kids. <laughs> or as my daughter said yesterday, how would knocking Buzz straight back knock everybody else down like Domino's? Because uh, the script said so. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's so, the commotion's so bad that like set shit is falling and like falls yeah. on the lady playing the piano and shit. <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. I disagree with the aftermath from this scene though. Oh, the law and order scene? No, no. That, that's just good fun. <laughs> just the fact that mom's even mad at Kevin at all. Oh, yeah. From a parenting angle, like she should be mad at Buzz 100%. Yeah. Which she was, but she's mad at both of them. But, you know, in my house, you, you would have got back right you stood up for yourself yeah. so i don't know anyways but uh back home buzz gives his uh law and order style apology and the fam buys it and uh then it's kev's turn beat that you little trout sniffer as a kid i'm like ew a fish as an adult i'm like was that a pussy joke <laughs> anyways it was it was a over the head joke for little josh that ad adult josh is like hey adult humor in a kid's <laughs> movie so kev obviously loses his shit and he goes off on everyone. We get a rehash of like everyone in the room being disappointed in him and shit. And he gets sent up to the fucking third floor and mom goes up there to talk to him and he's not having any of it. And mom reminds him that the last trip 
he ended up not having a family and being separated from him. And uh, Kev says, well, that's fine. I'd rather be on my own vacation alone. And mom says, well, maybe you'll get your wish again. Yep. So we got all that set up. (laughs) That night, the wind starts blowing, and this time it doesn't knock out the power. It blows a piece of newspaper onto the front door for us to see that the wet bandits escaped during a prison riot. It's a little, little shoehorned in exposition there, but I'll take it. So, of course, morning chaos ensues when mom and dad stand up and exclaim at each other, we did it again. Right. We've got everybody trying to rush to the vans and they forgot Kevin again. Yeah. But Kevin turns around from the fucking front (laughs) seat of the van, snatches his ticket from mom. So he made sure he was actually in the van this time. That's a good, good thing. And and when he snatches the ticket, he's like, just in case you guys try to ditch me. (laughs) Right, right. When they're panicking, trying to get ready in the house, the cheapo uncle. It's like, why are you guys so bad at waking us up yes. in the morning? It's like, you're a grown fucking man. Why didn't you get yourself up? <laughs> He's a piece of work. So uh, we make it to Chicago here. And uh, they actually shot at the airport again. But this time, everybody knew who Macaulay Culkin was this time around. So they had to close off a lot of the airport. Ah, like a fucking 10-year-old, because he's 10 now. He needs new batteries for his talk boy. Right. And he's asking, Dad, where are they? He's like, they're in my bag. And he fucking snatches the bag. And he's, you know, running behind the family with the bag, trying to find the batteries. And eventually he just stops. Yep. And he reloads the batteries. But it's cool because dad's got this like very unique, identif- identifiable brown duster fucking jacket that he's got on. So does this other guy. Right. And uh, by the time Kevin gets his battery swapped and he starts running, he's behind the wrong fucking brown coat. The brown coat guy kind of bothers me because he's like patiently hanging out at the uh, booth, talking to the clerk and paying, and then just randomly takes off running like he's about to miss his plane. Well, see, I think he's skeevy and he thought he was going to get some. Uh, And once he was shot down, he's like, oh, fuck, I got to get to my plane. uh, I don't know if this was an accident, (laughs) but when um, you see dad run and hook right Uh and the other guy hooks left, there's terminal letters and dad goes to the one that says H and there's an arrow pointing to the right. And the other guy goes to the one that says K, and there's an arrow pointing to the left. Like, Kevin, home. Oh. I don't know if that was an accident, okay. but I saw that yesterday, and I was like, huh, I wonder if that was intentional. Because I was really mad that the guy wasn't in a hurry, and then he was in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> so you were looking for a reason, huh? Yeah. So this, of course, leads to the family unknowingly boarding without Kevin. <laughs> and uh, the boarding agent, uh, the dark-haired one, is the elf from the first movie. Okay. So... Kev boards the other plane going to New York. He doesn't hear the announcement that's like, you know, today we'll be flying to blah, 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 yada, yada, yada to tell him he's in New York because he's rocking out on his talk boy because the dude sitting next to him is an annoying French guy who just wants to know, are there any good restaurants? I've never been here before. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Because Kevin, when he runs in, they just shut the door, just like in the last one or whatever. And he saw them open it up and let the guy in and he runs into the lady and all the boarding passes get dropped, including yep. his. So they just have to take his word for it and find his dad. And uh, he points him out. But yeah, it's funny because he asked the guy if he's ever been to Florida before. And I'm assuming he's a French guy because in the last movie they went to France. Exactly. Right? And then a little throwback there. But uh, <laughs> it seems like they've covered a lot of it. <laughs> so uh, we've got the family. They do a little little rehash of, did, good thing we didn't forget anything this time. Da, 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 da. But still something feels a little off. Because, you know, mom, it's that that's mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. motherly bond. And uh, Kevin makes it to not Florida. And <laughs> <laughs> he gets there and he's like, mom, dad, huh? And he looks out the window and he goes up to the ticket counter and he asks none other than fucking Ali Sheedy. Right. What city is that over there? And she's like, New York. And he's like, I did it again. And she kind of yeah. looks at him like, what? <laughs> I looked at her name tag to see if it was another one of her, like, John Hughes characters. And it wasn't. No. Meanwhile. 
in sunny Florida, <laughs> we see the fam at baggage claim, and it's so good because it goes from mom and dad all the way down the line to Fuller. Kevin's bag. It's yeah. like, hand this to Kevin, hand this to Kevin. So they make it all the way down the line, and it gets to Fuller, and he turns around. He's like, here you go, Kevin. And then he turns back around and hands it to the next kid. He's like, Kevin's not here. And then they're all right. passing it, just saying, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here. Makes it all the way to mom and dad. It's like, Kevin's not here. And mom, of course, screams and faints. <laughs> but if you watch while the bag's being passed, Buzz and Shitty Uncle are the only two that are just standing behind them completely detached from the family. Right. Which I think is just a icing on the cake for how their characters are. I like how it's almost Looney Tunes-esque when it gets to mom and dad. She's like, Kevin's not here and hands it to dad. And dad goes, Kevin's not here. And they just sit there, like, digging through their pockets. And he goes, wait, what? <laughs> and then she's like, what? And then she looks at the camera fucking laughing her ass off. Kevin screams and passes out. It's, yep. it's a really funny scene. The... Cheap uncle. He he always makes me laugh with his few lines because there's somewhere like when they're fighting the night before, right? When he does the law and order scene, I think he says something like, don't you mess up this trip for me that your dad paid for. Yeah. Right? yeah and he yeah. calls him a cheapskate. Yeah. He's like, we want to mess up your vacation, uncle cheapskate. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> just funny. <laughs> so we, we jump right back to Kev for another callback. My family's in Florida and I'm in New York. My family's in Florida. I'm in... New York. Good thing he's got dad's bag because it's loaded with cash, credit cards, and his dad's address book. Mm -hmm. So we get a quick little montage of Kevin running around New York City and we see him snapping Polaroids, only it's not a Polaroid camera. It's a knockoff. I meant to write down the name, but I'm going to say Polaroids. Bite me. We see him buy some fireworks, specifically Roman candles, and he ends up at the observation deck of the World Trade Center, which in my notes I put in parentheses. That's fucked up. Right, right. <laughs> but we already covered that. <laughs> I asked uh, my daughter Ella yesterday, I was like, wait, where did he get the fireworks? Like at the end, because I didn't remember him buying them, and I must have kind of skipped past Chinatown. It. Okay. I mean, legitimately. So uh, back to the parental units, and they report Kev missing. At the same time, we see that the wet bandits have arrived in New York City, and Freedom smells like fish, as you pointed out. Earlier. And money. <laughs> and fish. <laughs> and they're coming up out of the subway and Marv's taping up his hand. And you'll notice there's already coins stuck to it as he's taping up his hand. Oh. They come up onto the sidewalk. He's got this idea for them to now be the sticky bandits. And he yeah. shoves his hand in a Salvation Army donation thing. And, and Harry's like, God, Marv, you're fucking stupid. Um, and it is stupid, but it's a nice thing throughout the movie because he snatches shit the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Every time they're walking, new hats, scarves, left and right. <laughs> but more importantly, if you watch the background while they're discussing this, somebody else makes a donation, and that's fucking Frank Oz. Oh. Yeah. Yoda himself, huh? Exactly. We jump back over to Kevin, who's cutting through the park. And when I say the park, it's Central Park. It's fucking New York. It's Manhattan. And while he's cutting through the park, he sees the scary pigeon lady. And he rushes away. He's crossing the street just as Harry and Marv are crossing the street. And they actually kind of bump into each other. And Harry kinds of turn around and Kev kind of turns around. But it's like they're both of them like, eh, couldn't. Right. We're going to go on. Uh, oh, then Marv gets belted by this blonde that he bumps into. <laughs> um, we need to remember her. So at the edge of Central Park, there is the Plaza Hotel. And Kevin, of course, recognizes it from the game show. And uh, he walks in and asks for directions to the lobby to none other than Donald Trump. Donald Trump owned the Plaza Hotel at the time. Yep. And of course, when they said how much, it's like it's this much. And like, okay, cool deal. And he's like, yes, as long as I get a cameo. <laughs> he wasn't going to back down on that. And uh, so they did it, whatever, got the shot. He gives him the wrong directions to the lobby, but he makes it there anyways. <laughs> it's always bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> I never caught that. It is really funny. Um, one year when my kids were 
getting old enough that they knew the president was. When Trump was still president, they're like, oh my God, they got the president in this movie and I had to explain. <laughs> I was like, no, he was famous before he was the president and this is way, way before. He hasn't been president for 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it was just, you know, it was those adorable kid things. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God, they got the president in this movie. <laughs> that is great. So uh, now that Kevin knows where the front desk is, he heads over to a payphone. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've demonstrated enough. I actually have four more pictures from my Disney trip this year (laughs) that I just didn't post. Yeah. Because I was like, this is getting old. Not to joke. Just (laughs) just taking the time to actually use our Instagram account and post the picture. Okay. I never even posted the one from last year where we stayed in the Nokia hotel and it's the fucking scream Nokia is the building. Oh, dude. And I took a picture and uh, yeah. One day I'm going to upload this like giant fucking pile of pictures that I keep seeing I'm going to upload. I've never done it. Like all of the Night Stalker comics from when we did the Blade movie yeah, yeah. and the Nokia file. There's, I was thinking about it the other day. There's a list of shit that I have failed everyone on. <laughs> so it's both of us. I just suck at the pictures. <laughs> I just suck at the being ready to record. <laughs> so Kevin then uses the slow function on his talk boy to book a room from none other than Chris Columbus's wife. She's the one taking the call, and she's also the flight attendant that seats the family in the first movie. Gotcha. Monica Devereaux. I even put her fucking name in here. Nice. Anyways, so at check-in, Tim Curry gives him the stink eye, uh, but he gets the room. (laughs) Meanwhile, the parents realize Kev has dad's bag. So they talk to the cops, and the cops are like, cool, we can look for credit card charges. We'll know where he's at. And this is pre-Insta checking the credit card on the computer when they just swipe it on the paper. They run it at the end. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. is none of that child tracker or find my iPhone, like none of that shit back then. The concierge enlists the bellhop to keep an eye on Kev and to see what the fuck's going on because he thinks it's odd that there's this young kid in this fancy ass fucking hotel all by right. himself. So the bellhop takes Kev up to his room and he receives a wonderful tip of fruit stripe gum. <laughs> now, they still make that shit? I think so. Okay, so you, you talking like I- the tutti fruity gum? Ooh, maybe not. It was, it had the, the, the fucking uh, zebra gum and it had wild flavors and it tasted great for five seconds. And then it was just all the flavor was gone. That's most gum. Oh, all no. I know is this my soon to be eight year old daughter was arguing with me earlier yesterday saying that the gum brand was tip. And I'm like, no, it was a gum brand that I remember <laughs> from the nineties that was not tip, but I don't know what it is. And I'm too lazy to rewind it right now. So it's fruit stripe gum. <laughs> <laughs> So we then see Kevin head to the pool only to lose his shorts because it's got to be dad's yeah, shorts because they're, they're way, too, way big. too big. Yeah. Okay. This was shot in Chicago because there's no on-site pool at the Plaza Hotel. And, ah. and we all know with John Hughes, we Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. There's gonna be, Sheboygan. There's going to be. No, no, no. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Kenosha kickers. <laughs> I think it's funny because he asked the old guys in the hot tub like 30 feet away if it's okay if he practices his cannonballs, yeah. but not the lady four feet behind him. Fuck her. Who's about to get <laughs> the shit splashed out of her. It was loud enough for anyone to, to protest. So afterwards, he uh, watches Angels with Even Filthier Souls. <laughs> yeah. Love that. They didn't even try. They just oh. went for it. And it's Gold. We should have notated the name of the actor that played the gangster in these movies. Yeah, he's like famous. You've been smooching everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Even Cliff. That's not true. (laughs) Oh, my God. Good Um, old Cliff. I love that scene. So we already know we've got to set up for later. So that night, the concierge 
slips into the room and Kev runs him off with the Frank clown gag, yeah. which he did not have time to do the rigging. I will not give it the movie I a thought pass about on it. this. I thought about it yesterday. Oh, he did it when he got there just in case. He knew somebody was going to check on him at some point. He already had it set up because he just runs in there smiling when he hears the door yeah. and then he's got the pencils hooked up on the strings and he's doing it. He already set up the clown. All right. I'll take it. I think he set it up because, I mean, name another 10-year-old child more experienced at tricking adults <laughs> with inflatables and standees. <laughs> he's so, Kevin, I'm Kevin fucking McAllister. Right. I mean, he, he set up a whole house in like an hour last time. I think he knew enough to set the uh, clown up in the shower when he got there. Because <laughs> he's a kid. He's got that logic of, I got in the swimming pool and it's got chlorine. I don't have to take a bath. <laughs> so he's not going to need that fucking shower. Fair point. So the clown scares Tim Curry. Yeah. Um, that's kind of Ooh, funny. I never thought yeah. about that. And uh, <laughs> Get out of here, you little pervert. So later on that evening, uh, we see Kevin going through his dad's address book and notices that he has an uncle in mm-hmm. New York, Uncle Rob. Meanwhile, in sunny Florida, the uh, <laughs> broke-ass family has to shack up in Uncle Frank's honeymoon hotel. Is that what? Is it because dad's credit cards were with Kevin? Okay, because he's like, I don't remember it being this bad. <laughs> and, <our honeymoon, laughs> and I'm like, why did dad take cheapo uncle's advice on what hotel to get. So that makes sense. It's because he didn't have any money. Yep. Even though probably, well, I guess you wouldn't have prepaid back then. No. Because like I just said, they swipe your credit card on the paper thing. <laughs> so, wow, it worked. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and Josh keeps saying sunny and he, he's not, <laughs> he's not doing the air quote pause quite right. It's fucking pouring the whole time. The whole time. And they're in Miami actually learned yep. yesterday. Yeah. That's so Unbelievable, though, because we all know that it only rains for 10 minutes at a time in Florida. Exactly. It's like gone. It's like, <laughs> oh, shit, our vacations. Hey, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so we jump back to Kevin again, and uh, we see the bellhop lose out on a big tip after he brought him his press draws. And uh, <laughs> yeah. anyone who's wondering what that is, that's a, he, he brings him his underwear. And at least the kid's smart enough to get his fucking underwear washed. Right. I wasn't sure if it was underwear or his uh uh Swim trunks. I didn't think about it until later. Oh, it's draws. <laughs> I just know he's like, there could be ladies on this floor. <laughs> and he gets some more little old man out of uh, Macaulay Culkin. Yes. He goes to offer the bellhop a tip. And he's like, no, I still got plenty of tip left over and pulls the gum out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Kevin flashes a wad of 50s and he's like, no tip. Okay. <laughs> that shit's great. So after the fucking disaster of the night before, the concierge 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 they're actually both right depends how french or american you're trying to sound so right, you just tim, killed it tim curry apologizes with a limo and a cheese pizza mm-hmm. just for kev kevin basically tells him that he won't be seeing his dad right. for the rest of the trip because he's fucking mortified because he, he wanted to apologize to the dad in person he's like he already left and uh, would you want to see the guy that spied on you naked in the shower yep <laughs> but he's still suspicious as fuck so he runs the card again the credit card or Probably runs it for the first time, right? Oh, yeah, because they'd only done the paper version. They did the, the pre-swipe, in. yeah. Yep. And uh, when he runs it, bam, stolen. And you've got <laughs> Kev out in the limo watching the Grinch. And yeah. And he gets to the Grinch smiling, yep. and then it cuts to fucking Tim Curry smiling, and it's great. When I think of this movie, that's one of the first yep. things that pops in my fucking head. And uh, my three-year-old Molly's obsessed with the Grinch. Like, she got a bunch of Grinch dolls and blankets for Christmas. Okay. So she's like, it's the Grinch! Yesterday we were watching it, but- on top of that being just absolutely adorable, it's really funny because Tim Curry, 
Like they had they had to told him to do the Grinch smile or something. Oh yeah, because the eyes and the mouth line up. Yes, perfect. Or he did it, and the editor was like, "That looks just like the Grinch," <laughs> and he spliced in a little bit of the Grinch there. And Twentieth uh, Century Fox want to know why they owed another movie studio some money. <laughs> So uh, Kevin has the limo take him to Chicago. More on that in a second. And uh, while wait, we s- what? Yeah, we're, we're gonna get to that. While Harry explains to Marv his plan to knock off a toy store on Christmas Eve, and this is one of the scenes you're talking about because they're up against the edge of an ice skating rink, and the whole time they're talking, Marv just keeps slapping kids <laughs> with his sticky <laughs> yeah. hand, and he, he ends up getting a hat, gloves, and earmuffs, a scarf too, I think, and yeah, yeah, a scarf too, and uh, it's great because he's like. Nobody's dumb enough to knock over a no, knock over a toy store on Christmas Eve. And Marv's like, these two guys are. Yeah, because Harry thinks he's a genius. Because he's like, the the place that's gonna have the most disposable cash is gonna be a toy store on Christmas Eve, and they can't deposit it. Exactly. Which they don't even hit on the point of why Duncan's toy chest, or whatever the fuck it's called, has extra cash in it. Not yet. Right. I don't even know if they knew that. Just, no, no. With no, these no. guys, it's dumb fucking luck. Yes, one hundred percent. Because we don't know how Marv survived this long. No, no, no. I don't know how he made it through fucking his teenage years. No. <laughs> Remember to eat and, and take medication and check the street before crossing. It's phenomenal. All of these things. So we jump over to Kev at the toy store, which is, of course, supposed to be FAO Schwartz. Ah, okay. And the exterior is actually the Chicago Rookery Building. That's why I made the limo to Chicago joke. Okay, so they, they shot some of the shit on site in Chicago. Yes. And then New York where they had... To New York, it yes. I didn't. I didn't realize that was F A O Schwartz. Is it actually? Oh, it's not. No, the it's ins- supposed the to be inside's okay. a set, and the outside's the rookery building. Because when I think F A O Schwartz in a movie, it's big every time. Yes, yeah. like big, like the Tom Hanks movie, big. Yeah, that's why I said big. <laughs> okay, I was just making shit. <laughs> and if you look, in case you, I know you like to collect movie shit, and it's mainly horror shit and old video games. But every Christmas at Target, there's a F A O Schwartz section in the toy section. Okay. And it's just F.E.O. Schwartz toys, and they have the piano. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's not that badly priced. I don't remember how much it is, but it's not super expensive. So if you actually want the floor piano from Big, you can buy it this November and December at Target. And we're not sponsored by Target, <laughs> but we like to collect movie shit, and Big is fucking awesome. Also, in Universal, you ever notice how many um, Zoltans there are? They're fucking everywhere. Where? Like when you come out of the mummy ride, there's a Zoltan right there at the bottom of the ramp you walk out. Oh, I never, when I got to exit through the gift shop, I'm just trying to get the fuck out. I've never paid attention. Yeah. There's a Zoltan there. There's, there's another one somewhere else that I saw. No shit. The third one I was thinking of was actually when I was in New Orleans for a work trip. It was in a Halloween store. That is a sex store in the back also. I just went in there because it said Halloween store and there's like costumes and makeup and and then sex toys everywhere (laughs) in the back. Why is there so much loop? I don't know. Oh. Reel us back in. <laughs> well, no, no, because we got to go to the, we, they had the fortune teller machine at uh, Uranus when we went there. And I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we, we took a trip to Uranus when we were up there for my mom's funeral. Took my sister. That, did I not tell you this whole story? No. Oh, this is not. great, man. So on Route 66, there's this place called Uranus, Missouri. Okay. And they have, it's a fucking tourist trap. Like it's a whole, it's, it's a- It's asshole Missouri. <laughs> no, no, no. Check this out. So it's a, uh, it's a sideshow museum and everything. But the biggest thing there is the fudgery. Okay. And their whole thing is like, come get your fudge packed in Uranus. It is, it is fucking hilarious. Anyways, you should have brought me some- Packed fudge from Uranus. Um, I the Ginger may still have some left. Oh, because we got our fudge packed in Uranus. <laughs> I did bring some. Uh, some in my anus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did bring home some uh, 
some flavored mealworms if, if you want to have some with me. I'm good. Here. I might be the only motherfucker <laughs> that'll drink absinthe with you, and I'm not trying the, the fucking mealworms, bro. It Get prepared for it. We're going to live in the pods. We're going to eat the bugs. I'm just trying to, to acclimate my digestive system. <laughs> what pods? <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm still, wait, I got to reel this back in and I'm still not done. Um, anyways. <laughs> I love you, Josh. <laughs> So if you pay attention when they're in the toy store, you'll actually be able to spot Chris Columbus with his daughter. That's, oh. that's the dude with the little girl grabbing a toy, da, 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 da. All the kids that got to be in there for the extras for that scene got to pick out a toy and take oh, it home. Okay. That was fucking really cool of everybody. But at any rate, if you pay attention, Kevin buys a map of New York, a can of slime, and a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> huh, okay. Swiss Army knife's a little weird to me in a toy store. Like a general purpose, like... Sears or something like yeah. that. Anyways. What, what bothers me about this scene is how he pays for it with cash out of the, we'll call it the petty cash envelope. <laughs> and then he decides to donate money and he says he's not supposed to spend the money, but luckily has 20 bucks at home from like shoveling snow or something yeah. to, to pay back. What about the money you just spent? I know, right? Or the 50 you almost tipped the, uh, why not make, why make up the story at all? Why not just be like, oh fuck the kids and then give them anyways. I, I don't agree. think he made it up. I think he was like trying to justify using the, the money he was stealing from his parents, but he just spent it. Yeah. It's dumb. <laughs> but while all this is going on, the man at the counter explains that Mr. Duncan is a really nice dude who donates all the Christmas earnings to the children's hospital. And that's yeah. when we see this giant clear trunk behind him filled with cash. And then Kevin drops another 20 for the cause. Yep. And uh, Mr. Duncan, I mean the clerk at the counter, <laughs> gives him two turtle doves and tells him to give this broken one to his friend and keep the good one for himself. And that way they'll be friends forever. Neither one of them was broken? Yes. Okay. One of them, the end of the wing is broken off. And oh, that's the only that. reason I make that joke. And then when he gives the one later on, they're both not broken. But yeah, the whole time Mr. Duncan's telling the story and holding that one up, the end of the wing's fucking okay. missing. It's great. Are Harry and Marv hiding in the dollhouses yet that yes. don't have a bathroom? Okay. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it, it does show them in there multiple times, like different times. Yeah, yeah. so they got their heads poking out the window and they're talking. And every time somebody comes walking by, they just freeze, freeze? with stupid yeah. looks on their faces like they're props. Like, what yeah. kind of fucking prop would they be? Those are sticky <laughs> bandits, bro. Come the fuck on. They don't. They don't think this okay. through. So Jesse has accepted the moniker. Um, <laughs> I mean, we have to accept that Marv lived. So. <laughs> Come the fuck on. All right, touche. So uh, once the bandits go outside, they spot Kevin because of his embroidered fucking backpack. That confused me. <laughs> and but the, now it makes sense. The chase is on, and Kevin buys some fake pearl necklaces off of a guy on the corner and uh, breaks them. And the pearls go everywhere, and this, you know, causes a slip-up to happen to the bandits. And uh, he tries- Are you saying that the stunt doubles home alone themselves onto the ground? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you idiots, we've captured their stunt doubles. Oh. But as Kevin goes rushing back into the hotel, he's stopped by the concierge. Who's tried to bust him for the stolen credit card. Yeah. But he manages to run right past him, slides under- Whatever ladies, the lady, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and into the elevator and manages to make it back to his room. Now, everyone's chasing his ass at this point as far yeah. as hotel staff goes and the bandits don't follow him in and they go rushing into the room and he's got fucking angels with even filthier souls ready to go. Yep. And once they're in the room, they all find out that apparently the concierge has been smooching with everyone, even Cliff, the security guard. It's a lie. That just goes to show you that he was prepped already for that. So we had the clown ready to go. So uh, this, of course, allows Kevin to slip away out of the other door because yeah. it's a fucking nice big room. It's it's 
it's not you think it's a suite later on in the movie you're oh, gonna yeah. find out what a suite really is but when i got confused and thought they were back at the house in chicago for a second <laughs> i'm sorry it's a mansion it's not a house and i was still confused <laughs> there's that but he does make it out the back and he runs off the dock straight into the arms of harry yeah fuck speaking of the house there was a battle to shoot the exterior footage for the house from the first movie into this movie. And they ran the price up like a motherfucker. When okay. They said they wanted to shoot the house again. If it was me, I'd see how much money I could fucking get to. Yeah. What then limits though? Come on. Well, the limit is when they say no, like, okay, that's the limit. Uh, I'll back it off 500. <laughs> I guess it's because I'm thinking about how easy it would be to uh, just recreate that shit in Blender and slap the bitch in or even use not an old 92. photo. I know. I was thinking about modern times, not 92 jackass. I wasn't thinking about it right, but yeah, yeah. It's jackass time. You come to Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> it's still the Max movie series. I'm just saying. If the third one goes the route that we were talking about, they still got to put Max in somehow. Oh. So back to Home Alone 2. <laughs> They're immediately mad. Like, after all the shit they went through with Kevin, they want to kill him. And the the line from the first one that I said, oh, this makes the second yeah. one make more sense now. Because it's fucking Marv. And he's like, American Airlines don't fly to heaven, little right. buddy, or some shit like that. Or don't fly to the afterlife. <laughs> He, he does it later, too, when they go in the park. He's like, kids are scared to go in the park, just like he said, you know. A scared of the dark. Yeah. Yep. But Marv being Marv, he's fucking spilling the beans on their whole plan. Oh, yeah. He's da, monologuing. Da, 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 and the camera just slowly pans down to that extendable microphone from the talk boys sticking out of Kev's pocket, recording everything he's fucking saying. Thank God it's a condenser mic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they end up at a crosswalk behind this blonde lady. Kev's fucking smart. He pinches her ass. She turns around. It's the same right. fucking blonde lady from earlier. She decks the shit out of Marv. And then Kev's like, he did it. <laughs> yeah. Harry, and she decks his ass too. Because Harry doesn't even realize Marv's gotten knocked out at this point. That means it happens so often in prison that he's <laughs> fucking oblivious to it. So uh, Kev goes back to his hidey hole being Central Park. And uh, he makes it down to the fountain. And it's really cool. When when we went to New York, like we got to go right there. Like oh, I want to go so bad. It, it sucked that they were cleaning the fountain that day, so it wasn't running and everything, but it was still cool to be there. And Kevin fucking slips away into a, a a a trunk on the back of a carriage. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's all these school kids and <laughs> that sticky hand. <laughs> Marv's just fucking duck duck goose all the kids, you know, and then yeah. they're like, holy shit. You see a hat that looks very similar to Kevin's hat, like the whole gag with, oh, that's the hat that was yeah, 11 yeah. being yeah. counted, da-da-da-da-da. They grab the kid. It's not fucking Kevin. He has slipped away again. Meanwhile, in sunny Florida. <laughs> he did it. He did it. He can say concierge and air quotes. <laughs> the fam gets the phone call that Kevin's in New York. Mom asked Pops if uh, Kevin would maybe think to go to his uncle's. He's like, I don't fucking know. And, but they, he does mention it doesn't matter, though. He's out of town. They're renovating the house. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we then cut back to Kevin. Who it's now he's, he's still in the park at night. And now it's scary because it feels like 80s New York. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Central Park at night is probably scary. <laughs> Always. And uh, he runs into some fucking prostitutes and then he goes yep. to get in a cab and he's like, it's scary out there. And this like half, like I'm one eye missing cab guy. Turns yeah. out, I was like, it ain't much better in here, kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he runs off and he runs straight into the fucking pigeon lady again. And Kev goes to bail and he stops, turns around and he like rationalizes it. 
And it's like, you know, when I first saw you, it was scary, but I understand the birds are on you because they like you. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Well, he also, uh, he hid on Apollo rocks and his foot got stuck. Uh, yes. And, and she he thought him. she was coming for him and she saved him. But yes. that's, and then he runs away and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I put, my, I put my notes in bad order because yes. Because <laughs> it's shot really dramatic where they're like slow-mo reaching for him. Is yeah. it the throat or is it the ankle? <laughs> or the ankle. But they feed the birds together and they become quick friends, leading to Kevin giving another Silent Bob life lesson monologue while they <laughs> steal a concert from the whatever orchestra. and uh, Chicago Symphony Orchestra? Probably, but they're in New York, <laughs> but it's still probably Chicago. I didn't look that hard. I'm um, just talking about my ass. So. <laughs> but uh, after this, you know, you can still have friends fucking monologue thing. Um, Kevin says he's been kind of bad this year. And she says, well, did you know that a good deed erases a bad deed? Ah, the bird seed is planted. Huh. That's your pun for the day? <laughs> That's my pun for the day. I didn't even write that one. Um, <laughs> so he drops in on the children's hospital, and he's, like, waving at this kid through the window and shit. And he's like, this is fucked. I got to do something yeah. about this. And it, it's very reminiscent of the first film when he's walking home from uh, Mass. And he yes. sees the kids through the windows. But exactly. this is a sick kid. At St. Jude, but not St. Jude. <laughs> so uh, he then sets up Operation Ho Ho Ho. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes and rigs the shit out of Uncle Rob's being renovated house. Do you happen to know if McKelly Culkin drew that battle plan map as well? I have no idea. <laughs> Probably not. I would say maybe because it's the same writer and director. Probably. Yeah. And actor. And it's a little bit too He's 10. I would have drawn the fuck out of that shit. The thing I like the best is that he's getting in and out of the place through the garbage chute. And I'm like, yeah. yes, yes, I fucking buy this. <laughs> yeah, he climbs up that thing and I'm like, well, that's fucking nasty. <laughs> it's the first time I'm thinking. But uh, it works because uh, they can't. Well, exactly. they might could, but. I couldn't. That's what I'm using as my basis for comparison. I don't even know if he could. <laughs> but it's nasty. So cue the montage, which I'm not going to go into great detail on, but I'm going to point out a few important things. We see Kev rigging a staple gun, mm -hmm. a blowtorch, mm -hmm. a car battery charger, mm -hmm. paint thinner in a toilet, mm -hmm. a kerosene-soaked rope, mm -hmm. and slime everywhere. What's the slime? I was gonna, I've actually, like, I didn't Google it yesterday because I wanted Josh to explain to me what the fuck the green shit was. It's not real. It's not a real thing. They mm -hmm. had—so uh, Mattel lost the deal for making the Talkboy, but from what I was reading, it reads like— when Tiger stepped in, they made the talk boy and the slime, the slime prop. Okay. So this is weird. Tiger's an electronics company. Exactly. But I mean, I have to go back and look and see what else they were making back then. But it was straight up just a, a tube of slime prop that was needed. Okay. For, it's a MacGuffin. They needed it and they, they had to make it. I didn't know if it was actually some sort of... Uh lubricant used for something oh. and then no, no 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 yeah back to that back room no <laughs> no no josh uh even when i when i worked with you fucking forever ago pulling cable we oh, had different kinds lube. of we had different kinds of uh gel though we called cable lube or probably even anal, i think we called it anal lube we so called it anal lube and then Astro the yellow Glide. stuff in the bucket we call baby shit okay yeah i remember that. so there was like you know we used lubricant to pull cables through tight uh, conduit and whatnot. So yep. I didn't know if maybe it was some sort of legit um, something for something. No, I think this was just to piss parents off. <laughs> Slime and kinetic sand are outlawed in my house. <laughs> I'm a fun dad other than that. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely like green gelatin. It reminds me of the yeah. Ghostbusters slime you could buy. Yeah. 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 Could you eat that? Nowadays, if kids can buy it, they have to make sure you can eat it and not die. I don't know about when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
We, I mean, we know plenty of people that grew up and turned into Marv. So, so tell him. <laughs> what I can tell you is with Uncle Rob's house all set, it's the third act. Oh, yeah. Did we get an epic fucking metal ballad? Is he raining? I in think this it's time? the exact same music piece. It just doesn't stick in my head as well, man. So the fam has now made it to the hotel, the Plaza Hotel in yeah. New York, because they didn't have to come from another fucking country this time. Yep. And mom plans to hit the streets, not as a sex worker. Mm-mm. She's going to look for Kevin to anyone who's curious. Meanwhile, Kevin heads over to Duncan's with a trash can and a wood plank in hand. <laughs> and uh, he, ri- <clears throat> he arrives just in time to see the bandits loading up because you got a. Uh, Harry cracks open the safe and he's like, Merry Christmas, Harry. <laughs> Crowbar's up, buddy. And then Marv opens up the, the chest with yeah. all the cash and he's like, Happy Hanukkah, Marv. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking earlier when you were like, was that a Jew joke with uh, he's scared to go to the church? Yes. I just thought it's because he's evil. Maybe, but he's not smart. Okay, we could go on a whole fucking wormhole <laughs> with Marv and what's left of his brain. Um, what's left? Makes me think of that movie Wraith that I'm going to cover one day on this podcast somehow. And the dude they call zombie because he drinks antifreeze for booze. Damn. <laughs> That's Marv. <laughs> so Kev taps on the window and they look up and he fucking snaps a picture of him. And there they are, cash in hand. He took a picture. How did my hair look? He's such a fucking idiot. I love him. Kev then smashes the window with a brick with a note on it. Don't worry. We'll find out what the note says later. The alarm sounds and the bandits run out right onto the seesaw trap that Kev had set up with the trash can and the fucking plank. Harry jumps on first. He's yelling at Marv. He takes the time to yell at Marv. Yep. Don't do it instead of just stepping off yep. of it. But whatever. It's a trope. It actually legitimately bothered me yesterday because <laughs> Harry's generally not dumb. No. Hey, well, and they're like Beavis and Butthead, but he's he is the smarter one. <laughs> he would have got off the seesaw and then let Marv get hurt. Like we see the bricks in a little bit. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and uh, I, I just I don't know. I don't fucking get that scene. I wish they would have shot it slightly different. Like I wish he wouldn't have had time to get out of the way. Yeah. Or they ran out at the same time and he landed just a split second before him. It Instead, he fixed. recites Macbeth while waiting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even writes a review. Um. Mm. <laughs> Of course, it sends him flying through the air and crashing into a car. That's so funny because he, <laughs> he smashes the fucking car like it's the Hulk falling. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think Marv's impressed by the air time and shit, right? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Not the form, but the hang time. <laughs> so uh, we see Kev run back to Uncle Rob's just missing mom who happened to go by and knock on the door. No Kevin, but whatever. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She's walking away as he's walking up and uh, he goes up on the roof. This is what you're talking about. And I didn't write all this down. This is my two favorite scenes. But he fucking throws this first brick off the roof. Smacks the shit out of Marv. Marv's on the ground. And if we call Marv an idiot, Daniel Stern is not. God bless him in this art form. Oh, he plays it fucking great. Yeah. And you get this fucking argument back and forth between Harry and Kev. And he's like, Hit me again, Go motherfucker. Ahead, throw another one. And every one of them hits Marv. I didn't count it, but Marv takes five, six bricks to the forehead easy. Yes. And every time he starts talking dumber, especially the last one, when he's trying to warn Harry. Yes. Because Harry's got his back to him and fucking Kev throws the brick and then Harry turns around at the last second and clocks Marv again. And they did a really good job of the makeup because there's like a different right angle red line for every brick that yes. hits him. <laughs> like he's fucking got yes. him everywhere. It was great. 
Um, <laughs> He'd be so fucking dead. So then Kev disappears. And of course, Harry's like, Marv, come on. I'm, I'm going to go this way. You go that way. And Marv's still like, huh? It's great though. Cause he gets up. He tries to walk up the stairs and he can't walk. Right. And he's like, man. Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack with how they get fucked up in this house. So I tried to shorthand this. Yeah. Everyone get ready. So Marv goes to the front door. Pulls the doorknob, which is on a rope that's attached to the fucking electric staple gun. He just keeps pulling it. <laughs> he ends up getting shot in the junk, in the ass, and the fucking face. You get like a septum piercing? Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Harry jumps for a fucking fire escape ladder that Kevin put slime on, <laughs> yeah. slips right off of it, busts the shit out of his ass. We jump back to Marv, who's removing the staples, and is like, fuck this shit. He kicks the doors open, and he walks in, and he's like, I'm in here, you little prick. And he scans around, doesn't see anything, takes one big step forwards, and goes face fucking first into the basement right. through the giant hole in the foyer. And you can say foyer, but you can't say concierge. What the fuck? And as somebody who's in a boot from regularly hurting my foot, stepping on my kid's shit, I can tell you when you're tall. You can honestly not notice something <laughs> on the floor like that. It is a pretty big hole. I feel like you would kind of see it, but he seems to be a good bit taller than me. Yes. Does remember that movie Celtic Pride he was in? Yeah. Yeah. The basketball <laughs> movie, they kidnap Larry Bird or something. Oh, wait. I actually know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And he's pretty tall, I feel like, in it. But uh, <laughs> fucking, yeah. It is believable that, you know, you're looking up and around and you don't realize shit on the ground that short people like you would see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that, that's, that's, that's my superpower. <laughs> So we jump back to Harry. Harry goes to the back door. Yep. And we've got another rig set up that when he opens the door, a fucking bag of tools unzips and bashes him in the fucking head. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, actually. We go back to Marv coming to in the basement. Once again, not looking down, he goes walking and he slips in this puddle of slime and it's really Looney Tunes-ish because yeah. he doesn't immediately start flying. He like, well, first he slips a whole bunch like, no, 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 no. And then he freezes. And he's like, I got this. And then he busts his ass. <laughs> yeah. And then he just shoots <laughs> off like a rocket. And he slides into this rack of fucking paint cans. They all collapse on him. So now he's covered in fucking paint. Meanwhile, <laughs> Harry's making his way through the house. And he's like, every time he comes up to a, a pull chain on a light, he very <laughs> carefully pulls that shit. And he's like, he's the smarter one. Yeah, he's like, okay. And he goes through like three of these while yeah. the shit's going on. And you're waiting on one of them to do something. Yes. We go back over to Marv and there's a, a wash basin in, in the butt in the basement and he goes to wash the fucking paint off. Yeah. Well, you got Kev sitting right there with a fucking car battery charger. Yeah. He hooks it up to the fucking <laughs> this is water the other one of some of my two favorite scenes. <laughs> and uh <laughs> He gets electrocuted so fucking hard it goes full blown Grateful Dead. I will survive. Fucking uh, music video where they're all skeletons. Yeah, his and, screaming though is fucking art. Yes, yeah, it's 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 the spider scream at thirteen. Fuck eleven. And well, and people bash on this scene so bad. Uh, him turned into the skeleton. Like, I I could see that, but it's funny. I don't care. Like it. I get I, it. I get it. I think it would have been more well received if they did the X-ray version, where they like composited the skeleton, the skeleton. over his body, right, and the people to laugh more. I, I'm okay with it. I'm like, fuck yeah. His screaming makes it. Yes, that's all that fucking matters. And the dark brown hair coming out of nowhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> laugh so hard every fucking time. That and the bricks, man. That is my <laughs> two favorite parts of the second film. Real quick though, to me, like when he gets the paint on him and stuff a minute ago. I swear that shit was something that got in his eyes. 
because he barely opens his right eye. And, and it's red shot. as fuck. Yes. And his left eye is fucking squinting the whole time. I didn't find anything on that, but yes, I noticed that too. That Somebody in the makeup department up. fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just curious if you caught that. So he's toasty, and we make our way over to Harry. And he finally hits the wrong light switch. And this one blasts him with fucking blowtorch 2.0. And he turns around to a sink where there's no fucking water on. And he turns around to a conveniently filled toilet. But he doesn't just dip his head, bro. No, he torpedo swirlies his own ass. And this is the same toilet that fucking Kevin McAllister was putting paint thinner in. And it cuts to outside. And there's just this quick flash and woof. And it is my favorite thing in the entire goddamn movie. I just love how, like, the stunt guy literally jumps on the shitter and does a full handstand yes. on, the, on the bowl and then pulls his head in. It's badass. <laughs> and then, yeah, you get a little mini mushroom. Yes, <laughs> it is great. Is that what the Manhattan Project is? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we go back to Marv, who's now now at least cleaned up and and, and looking around. And he sees this rope. He remembers that goddamn iron. Yeah. He pulls on the rope a little bit and nothing happens. What we see is that it's tied to a bag of fucking cement mix that only moves a little bit. He tugs on a little bit harder. Nothing happens. But we see that bag move just a little bit more. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I'm good. So then he commits and grabs the rope, sending the fucking bag of cement mix right down into his face. <laughs> He's now fucking dusted. One thing I tried to look up the other day when I did my notes was how did they come up with all the traps and I cannot find anything referencing it which makes me think John Hughes came up with all this shit probably yeah because I mean I, I couldn't find her like oh we talked to this army ranger or something fucking crazy like that it's I think John Hughes did it because <laughs> some of them are pretty clever I would say the second film actually has more clever traps yeah they're they're more intricate yeah like the the fucking tool bag would work and oh, that's yeah. genius yeah yeah. Now you need a real idiot for the brick thing to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so a lot good. of bricks. It's so good. So Marv then comes up with a plan B and he piles up a bunch of junk and does finally climb out of the hole up onto the first floor. Meanwhile, we've got Kevin leading Harry up a Leslie Vernon ladder that sends him <laughs> face first into the floor. Jesse gets it. <laughs> I just like how... Harry's on like battle seven and he's like traversed through several rooms in the house. Marv's still in the goddamn basement. <laughs> Marv stepped in the front door and fell in the basement and he's just now figured out how to stack shit and climb out. He is the way he's stuck in the fucking tutorial level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you brag to somebody about a game they've been playing and you finally play it and you're like, yeah, I just made it to this. And you're like, oh, you've only made it there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry's fighting the sub boss. Mars in the tutorial. Yes. God, we're nerds. So the bandits are at least together now on the first floor. And they go heading up these stairs and they dodge both paint cans. Like they're playing the whole thing out. Like yeah. paint cans. Like, doo, 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 I'm coming up the stairs. And they dodge both of them. They're like, that's two. Let's get them. They don't dodge the fucking drain pipe. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker there is no dodging. They have to play limbo real fast. And it knocks them back into the two dangling paint cans <laughs> through the fucking hole in the floor <laughs> yeah. all the way back down to the basement. And it's like, holy shit. These guys just got fucked up. 
Then Kevin cuts the fucking rope on yeah. the drain pipe, and that shit bashes him too. It's like the crowbar from the first one. It comes in for round two. Yes. Oh, they try to make their way back up again. This time they get bashed with a fucking craftsman tool chest that Kevin sends down <laughs> the stairs. It busts the door and slams their asses into the wall, and they do the fucking Looney Tunes adjusting the nose yeah. back thing. That's a little much. Out of all this shit, I don't like the nose thing. I honestly, um, I feel like it was a nod because I didn't do any research on this. I'll check for notes on the next one. I wonder if it's the same editor, DP, stuff like that, right? The work okay. last time? Yeah, I didn't look. But the editor, while they were shooting Home Alone 1, watched all of the Looney Tune cartoons on repeat to get an idea how he wanted to edit the first film. Like this. Yeah. So <laughs> if this wasn't him, they hired the editor from Looney Tunes. <laughs> That'd be Warner Brothers, though, so I doubt it. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got a crossover. So uh, we're up on the roof after mm. the tool chest incident. We got Kevin up on the roof and the bandits up on the roof. Are there bricks involved? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin climbs down the kerosene-soaked rope, and once he's down, he's looking up at the, the bandits, looking over the edge of the roof, and of course he taunts them. He vanished. I'm down here, you big horse's ass. Whoa. Nice night for a neck injury. Ella was really bothered yesterday. She's like, why is he allowed to say a bad word, Daddy? Eh. So the duo, of course, head down the rope. And just as they notice the smell, Kevin <laughs> sets it fucking aflame. It's not even that. Harry's like, it smells like kerosene. And Mars like, why would anybody soak a rope in kerosene? <laughs> and then the match comes out. And, of course, they fall. And they crash through these planks below that, as they're falling back into the basement once again, launch all these fucking paint cans and tar and varnish, cans. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of shit. And that all crashes down on them. At that point, he should have just dropped the match and been done with them. He could have. But instead, he calls the cops and he says the Duncan's Toy Chest robbers are in Central Park. Look for the fireworks. He then bolts across the street and busts his ass on the fucking frozen crosswalk. That was actually a nice twist there. It was. Yeah. It was excellent. Yeah. It still stands up. The bandits are on his tail. They grab him. They throw him in front of a passing bus. The end. No, but that's really what I want because <laughs> it's me. But uh, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like they finally got him. And yet again, it, it feels delayed. Like I, I thought mean, you liked look, Kevin. You're you're hoping for him dead now. No, I'm just saying in general. Like if I if I was one of these bad guys, I get wanting to take him in the park and murder him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they made that joke already earlier. Grown I think men we go past, in the yeah. park and don't come out. Yeah, yeah. so I, I get <laughs> not wanting to shoot a kid on the middle of the sidewalk. It's well, not, I, mean, it's I not definitely, a, okay, as okay. Jesse, definitely get it. But <laughs> <laughs> putting myself in their shoes, I could see them. I mean, they're escaped convicts. They're not going to shoot a kid in the sidewalk. Would they? <laughs> Marv might. He's pretty stupid. He might do it while he's eating a glue stick. <laughs> but, but you're right. They take them to the park where they know they can get away with it. And uh, they pocket the evidence because they're snatching things off of them. And it's all the fucking Polaroids and shit. And Harry's trying to get the fucking gun out, but they're covered in everything. Yeah. And like, he can't get a grip Except on it. Except feathers. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so the pigeon lady pops up and she throws her whole bucket of bird seed on him. The fucking pigeons all attack. And we get Marv screaming 3.0. And it's yes. so good. And what Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern talks about how a pigeon actually got in his mouth while this oh, was happening. Really? And it was the worst thing that happened to the entire shoot that one of those disgusting things was in his mouth. 
It's because it gives it his all on the screams, man. It's fucking beautiful. Oh, it does, man. When you look at him, he's just, it didn't matter. One could have been shitting in his mouth and he would not have stopped the take. Right. That is fucking commitment. But the pigeons, of course, give Kevin a chance to set off his bundle of Roman candles mm-hmm. just as the cops are flying by Central Park and they're like, whoa, it looks like the 4th of July. It's just a bad line. And they go running in and they find the bandits and the evidence because there's the, the fucking cassette tape out of the top yeah. with the bad guys saying they're playing or some shit written it says, on it. bad guys plotting to kill me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even about the robbery. It's when they're threatening to kill Kevin. Yeah. Oh. And uh, with the baddies captured, we head over to Duncan's and we get to see Kevin's note. And he apologizes for the window and he says, thank you for the turtle doves. He also says, if you're ever in Chicago, come see me and I hope you have insurance. But the important part is that he says, The insurance is not related to visiting him in Chicago. There was a comma, but we have to teach Josh <laughs> yes, those. Commas. I'm so glad the latest update on my fucking phone finally does commas in the right place because it okay. used to argue with me about it. It's like, can you do this comma, please? And now I can say, can you do this, please? And it'll add in the comma so I can be even lazier there is a subreddit that shows you the difference between sentences with and without commas and it's fantastic you i mean people purposely like write the sentence or the story right yeah and you read the non-comma version and the comma version it's a completely different experience yeah, yeah. totally go grammar that's why i use the oxford comma Gra- all times. Look, keep guys, as many commas kids, as you can kids grammar is not just that little nazi cat meme that you see that says you think grammar grammar's a fucking joke i know you've seen that meme i actually have no fucking clue what you're talking have about have you never seen that nope. oh it's adorable so it's this little cat, but he's dressed up like a fucking Nazi. And it says, do and that's you, adorable to you? No, 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 no. The cat <laughs> is adorable. And it, it says, do you think grammar's a fucking joke or different takes on that? And people will post it when it's like somebody uses the wrong form of their or okay. your. And then they'll, they'll post that meme. Okay. I fucking love it. Sorry, it's from the chance. Anyways. <laughs> I avoid the chance. It's like avoiding the crabs, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the crabbies. Turtle doves. Duncan's window brick note. We're just reading this on scene. So Kevin's admitting that he's the one who broke the window, but he had to, he had to do it to make sure that the the hospital kids got the money. And in case you're wondering, Josh just did air commas when he did that last (laughs) statement. He's still growing. So we go back to fucking frazzled mom who is still looking for her son. It's not our happy ending yet. Whenever she said she was going to do it, when she's like, I fucking dare a mugger to fuck with me right now. Or was that earlier when she's arguing with her husband? I think think that's earlier. I love and believe like every time she has like a, it's the same thing as I've been up for 60 days and I stink and I've been, but she's, when she does, I dare somebody to fucking try to mug me right now. (laughs) It's good stuff. And she has that vibrato when she uh, talks to the cops here in a second where you're headed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what it is. She stops by a, a park squad car and is like, this is my son. Have you seen him? Blah, blah, blah. Let and, us do our job. And the cop's like, this yeah. is fucking New York, lady. Yeah. Like, like, put yourself in his shoes. You know, you know him. Where would he be? And, of course, she puts two and two together that Kevin loves Christmas trees. Right. And there's a giant fucking Christmas tree in New York City. So to Rockefeller Center we go. We see Kev peeping on the tree with this nice setup for a Hughes Entertainment logo because you've got the star and only two lit windows on the building behind it on okay. either side of the star, which is the Hughes Entertainment logo. I didn't figure that out on my own. I had to go read it, but there you go. That's why it's set up like that. I'm just thinking I would have gone to the fucking tree too. <laughs> Kev wishes for his family back again, and then mom pops up, and all is well, and they go back to the hotel. Cut to Christmas morning, and... I got to figure out what well, you're talking about Fuller when we get here. So we're going to talk about Fuller for a second. Yeah. Okay. So Fuller wakes up first and he's the only one in the fucking bed. Um, <laughs> that was a joke, but 
the camera starts way to the left of Fuller. Yeah. And they're packed like sardines <laughs> on like sofas and sleeper sofas packed in. Like cordwood. And then you get to a king size bed and Fuller's in the middle by himself with uh, like an empty six pack ring and Pepsi cans everywhere. <laughs> yes. So that's what I was going to say. Coke He's in the, yeah, Coke Coke cans, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. So he was in the bed by himself while everybody was packed in like sardines. Okay, and that okay. was that was what I was uh, alluding to earlier. Oh, okay, okay. And I thought it was pretty hilarious. You kept him on dino PJs. I don't yes. know what fuck you're talking about. So he pops up and he's yelling at everybody that's Christmas morning and he's wearing dinosaur pajamas. In the first one, when Kevin's talking to the snow shovel killer in the church, he's talking about how mean kids can be and how he had a friend that got got a beat down when somebody found out that he had dinosaur pajamas. Ah, okay. Callback. Okay. I had to read about that. I didn't figure it out on my own <laughs> listeners. But before you see that scene, you do see a Duncan's toy store truck unloading Outside. a shit ton of, yep. of presents because somehow Mr. Duncan knows how many kids there are in this family and whatnot. Yeah, and where Kevin was and... But oh, anyways, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll let it go. <laughs> so since their suite is like three stories now, they make it over to the tree surrounded by fucking gifts. And Buzz tells everyone to knock it the fuck off. And that Kevin's mistake is responsible for this awesome blessing being yeah. bestowed on the family. So Kevin should go first. And then he'll go next. And then everyone else can go. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Kev starts to tear into his present. And he looks out the window. And he looks at the tree. He's looking at the turtle doves. Yeah, there's turtle doves on the Duncan Place tree. And he goes down into the snow-covered Central Park and gives Pigeon Lady one of the turtle doves, and it's not broken this time. And we get the fucking tearjerker music playing, and he tells her that they'll be friends forever. That's the scene earlier when I said there's there's some shit in this movie that grabs me. I get a little teary-eyed with the (laughs) the bird lady at the end there. The only thing that would have made it better, though, is he could have asked Mr. Duncan to give her a job. Or a shower. Mm. There was a large hotel room with 87 bathrooms. In the I was l- literally yeah. yelling at the at the screen when it got to that part. I was like, why don't you let her come in and bath? Come in and bath. Come in and bathe. Don't you guys know how uh, often Josh gets in the bath? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, did you say I shit in the bath? <laughs> <laughs> if I did, it's getting cut. Um, I was real little when that happened. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my kids are always afraid of the other kid doing that when they're little. Take a bath together. It's great. Yeah, that's the only thing that bothered me about that. Uh, outside of the how does he know where he was at? And yeah, you know, I do think it's kind of funny. Like the aunt and the uncle and everybody's all in the one area. And then Kevin's parents, the ones the money to pay for everything, even though they got the room for free from Tim Curry because he <laughs> fucked up. Um, they come into that room. They're already wide awake and smiling. Yeah, they were in there fucking. That's oh. why they didn't hear the fucking presents getting unloaded. Ew. <laughs> well, they were having to share the Dolphin Inn or what the fuck ever in Miami. <laughs> well, there's 14 in. people in one room, and now they got the presidential suite on their own. They had their own floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they were fucking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> so, <Woo>. meanwhile, <laughs> so meanwhile, the bellhop drops off the room service bill to oh, yeah. Buzz, and there's a whole long list that somebody's paused it and read it. It's he is a bunch He's of got fucking the ice cream food. and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, all the way in the park, we hear Dad scream. Kevin, you spent nine hundred and sixty-seven dollars on room service, <laughs> and that's the end of the fucking flick. <laughs> I love it because Kevin can hear it from that far away, and he takes off running further into the park. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going home now. Here's my biggest beef with that, though. How much would the fucking room be compared to the fucking thousand dollar room service bill? I mean, he's been staying there, what, three or four days? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I get mean, the joke. I'm just logically here. They comped the presidential suite due to the misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, they might have comped the room, yeah, man. but they weren't going to comp the 97 no, pounds no, of ice cream. No, no. Yeah. You know what's even more fucked up about that? I bet the bill for the mini, the not the mini fridge, but there the, was a mini fridge full of candy. That shit yeah. would have been a grand by itself. Exactly. <laughs> he must have used restraint on Those the mini fridge. Those things are brutal, man. I was traveling one time and finally hit one of them, and it actually had a little price sheet in it, and it was like cookie, $7.80. And I mean like a cookie this big. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, like you think it's bad at the movies or any shit like that? Anyways, um, so the movie, um, <laughs> I think it's cute. Yeah. I think... It's a good follow-up to yeah, the original. The, the callbacks are great. I bitched about it at the beginning, kind of as in jest, but at the same time, kind of like it, it's a cop-out for writing, but it's okay. It's it's what has to happen in the movie. It's got something for everybody as far as like the family side goes. It's still fun when I'm this old. I don't bust it out annually, but if I had fucking kids, oh, it'd yeah. be like, hey, we're going to watch Home Alone, and then we're going to watch Gremlins, and then you can go to bed, yeah. and I'll laugh. Yeah. Oh, like, they're going to have nightmares, and I'll have to explain stuff to them, and then I'll be able to show my special effects work. Anyways. Um, we call it the Chris Columbus special. <laughs> <laughs> Point being, if I had kids, I'd probably watch it regularly. It's a good movie. It made money. It also goes to show why three and four couldn't happen. This is kind of as far as you could push this without yeah. it being stupid. I skipped three when it came out, and my kids being obsessed with Home Alone, we immediately watched the Disney Plus or Netflix, whoever. I think it was Disney Plus did uh, the new Home Alone movie last year. Okay. It's actually, like I said, it's, it's pretty funny, and it's like a British maid and her British son, and I think they're grifters slightly. I don't remember exactly what happens, but, like, it's really believable. He doesn't, like, get forgotten. Like, it's manipulated. Okay. Where he's home alone, and there's still burgos. Like I said, they did a, like, is it a masterpiece? No. But they did a really <laughs> good job of making a new Home Alone movie and just, just not even touching what came before it, right? Okay. Like, other than you have a kid by himself and booby traps for burglars, the line is there, right? Okay. So they did a good job with that. So my kids watched it, and they liked it. It's a new kids movie, so you, you'll you know when you have kids. Two, three <laughs> days in a row. You're lucky if that's all all you get. Sometimes it's months, right? So we had to keep watching it. And then I'm like, let's try something different. Let's watch the third one. Okay. And we turned it on. And I don't think we made it 15, 20 minutes. My kids wanted to turn it off. Damn. And it was really cheesy. It was set up like one of those made-for-TV Disney part sevens. Okay. Like yeah, Disney yeah, yeah, Channel yeah. kid. And uh, that's what got me. My kids were just like, it's not Kevin. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. Brand recognition. Right. But they were okay with the reboot because it was so different. Far enough removed. Thing. And I think there's like ninjas breaking into houses and shit. Like it felt like a Surf Ninjas movie, but it's Home on 3. <laughs> and the fact that somehow they made a fourth one is fucking mind blown. Yeah. I'd double check me on it, but I'm like 90% sure there's a fourth one. It, it's just crazy to me because, I mean, all people like money and all people in Hollywood <laughs> like money. But that would mean that uh, John Hughes or Chris Clone, I guess it would be John Hughes would have sold the rights off for them to make sequels. And it just doesn't seem very John Hughes to me. Unless the studio ended up with it in the deal. I felt like he has enough clout where he could have, no, these, this is my franchise. But uh -huh. I don't remember when he passed away in the 90s. Oh, there's that too. I think it was the 90s when he died, right? I don't know. I, don't I could be wrong. Look. So maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> we're not covering those pieces of shit, right? No, so never. we're covering these fucking gems. We're, we'll come back for Jaws 3 and 4, but not, <laughs> not this. We've hit the nail on the head. They're really fun. Yeah. They're original. They are like 30 years old at this point, right? Oh, yeah. I still like watching them at 40 and have three kids that fucking love them. And we've been watching them every year 
like five years, right? Staying power. And it, yeah, it, it just works. And it hasn't really been recreated other than the straight up reboots, right? And, and like I said, they, they kind of ignored the first one and just used the core concept, which yeah. it's a good way to do it because you're not, this is something that you can't, you know, repeat. It's lightning in a bottle, as you like to say. <laughs> and, you know, we even get jokes towards it and references. The uh, better watch out. Christmas horror movie, oh, yeah. right? Like, oh, you're going to home alone them? You know, and, and they put ketchup that in there with mustard. kids. Yeah, <laughs> ketchup <laughs> mustard. And um, I mean, even like, I, I can't watch a movie nowadays, like even your next, and you see them setting up like some sort of trap. And I'm, oh, they're home alone in it. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. got the last in power. Macaulay Culkin was great. You are going to be hard pressed to say anything about John Hughes and Chris Columbus. You have one movie that you can make fun of. <laughs> They brought a great, memorable movie that that it's got a weird line here. It's a uh, it's a family film. It's a home invasion film, and it's a Christmas film. Like we get a bit of everything. Yep. And it it has both their marks on it, and it has Macaulay Culkin's mark because he, like we said, uniquely can deliver these old man lines as a <laughs> eight and ten year old child, and it be a lot of fun. And there's a lot of there's just a lot of good jokes. Like they didn't have to have fuller piss in the bed. In the movies. No. That was not relevant to the plot. I guess in the first one to get him in the attic. Because yeah. he didn't want to sleep with Fuller. But even then, you could you didn't have to have it, right? Like, they could have made up anything else and just Fuller drinking soda. You see him chugging a soda when, when Kevin gets in trouble in the first one in the yep. kitchen. They don't even address him pissing in the bed in the second one. You just see him chugging soda saying, you get to sleep with me, right? Like, it's just, he's doing yeah. it himself. Like, look, I'm prepping this bladder, you know? Like, it has, like, funny fucking jokes like that. And um, I have a feeling I'll watch this one with grandkids one day. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun, and um, it would be neat to see some kind of Macaulay Culkin revisit grown-up fucking up Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. If they could come up with a way, either make a movie, it'd be really hard yeah, to be able to do it. But it'd be nice for like a chari- one of those charity comedy shows they do to have yeah. like a skit. Or even just do a short. Yeah, yeah. Like just something just to... Um, have have them all come back and do stuff. Everybody's still around. Catherine O'Hare says that her and Kelly Culkin still talk, and he still calls her mom. That's adorable. Like, it's just mom, right? So, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's fun, and um, like I said, you know, we like home invasion flicks yeah. on this podcast because it, it walks that line with, with slasher films a lot, and uh, in this case, with Christmas movies, which you guys know we like Christmas horror movies. So, absolutely. A lot of fun to do. But that's it for the Home Alone franchise episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover director Andre Overdahl. What's that? It's a book of scary stories. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening.